What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by ArtofMagic.com. This is the last episode of the NorCal group of podcasts, and we're finishing off strong with my buddy Rahul Srinivasan. He's actually the first person I interviewed when I went up there, but we talked about everybody else so much that I decided to put it out at the end. In the episode, we talk about the NorCal group of magicians, we talk about the Magic Garage, and how beneficial that is for magicians trying to figure out how to do good magic. Rahul's the kind of person that doesn't take no for an answer, and I mean that in a good way. He likes to push people out of their comfort zones in a compassionate, loving way, and people thank him for it. I know I have on multiple occasions. He's one of my oldest friends in magic, as I'm sure you guys have heard on other episodes, and I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say about learning magic, about being a student of magic, and about hanging out with really awesome people. I highly suggest you wait till the end of the show to hear his amazing Hardest Time You Were Fooled story. It's <laughs> it's really great. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, facebook.com slash magicalthinkingpodcast and a sense of mystery and on instagram at treasury of wonder and at magical thinking podcast if you enjoy the episode send me an email podcast at artofmagic.com and let me know what you think and i'm also going to be in columbus at the end of the month for magi fest so if you're going to be there by all means come up introduce yourself tell me what you think about the show how i can improve what you love about it things like that we're going to have a great time and i'm excited to meet everybody who's going to be there all right get into rahul's episode let me know what you think enjoy why don't you tell everybody what we did last night oh so we went out to god damn it (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah there's a safeway next door so that happens sometimes um it'll there you go (laughs) <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Uh, clinky. Clinky. So last night we went out to... You know, we're shitting on this whiskey a lot, but it's actually not bad. It's very sippable. It's, you know. Uh, what did we do last night? We went to... You came into town. We... Where are we? We are in Mountain View, California. We're in my house. Well, more accurately, the garage. Um, which has turned into the... Local default session room of magicians from San Jose to San Francisco who are close friends. We meet somewhere in the middle. I happen to be in the middle. It's sort of nice. And, uh, well, you asked me about coming up to NorCal and doing a bunch of podcasts with NorCal crew. And so you showed up yesterday. We went out to Cuban food. You smoked the greatest cigar of your life. It was it was amazing. Yeah. Um, we went to, yeah, so that was, then we ended up coming back here and we hung out with Michael Feldman and Theron Schaub, who are two of the good, the good guys up here. Just in general. Yeah. Forget, forget about magicians. They're great guys. Yeah. And so, uh, we hung out, we talked magic, we talked life, more life than magic, I think. Yeah. That's what I like about you guys and what's different about you guys than say the LA scene for example because when I hang out with my magician friends in Los Angeles all we talk about is magic basically and that gets really old <laughs> I talked about it on the last episode with Alex oh really that I that I get very burned out 
because I do magic as a job, and then all my friends want to talk about magic because they're performers. Right. I think we've had this conversation a couple times too, of uh, of the desire to talk about magic all the time versus talking about other things and experiencing yeah. life, which is really funny because in in contrast, my experience with the LA magic scene uh, has been the opposite. And yeah. maybe it's because of the people I know. Sure. But, uh, so you know this, most of you listening probably don't even know who the hell I am. Um, <laughs> I'm a friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the last three years I've been doing my MBA in LA. Uh-huh. So I would fly down every week while working full time in NorCal. I'd fly to LA every weekend and I'd have six or seven hours of class on a Saturday. And so Saturday night, if and when I was able, I would get out to the castle and I'd go see Mike or whoever else was in town and hang out. And generally that meant hanging out with uh, either my cousin and his wife or hanging out with Dave and Coley. And so like, yes, there was magic, but we wouldn't talk about the magic. We would talk about life and finance and real estate. And yeah, that's because, well, just because you were in LA though, that doesn't necessarily mean it was the LA scene of magician. Fair, fair, total fair point. My experience with that scene has been very, yeah. Different, and sometimes it was great because you know go talk to Goodwin in the castle about card tricks or coin tricks or whatever. And sometimes it was not. Yeah, so met some very interesting people there. Yeah, yeah. Over the years. What do you do when you meet those interesting people, Rahul? <laughs> if only people on the radio, podcast, whatever audio could see your face right now. <laughs> 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 so, uh, context for those of you who are listening, I think. Elliot and I, over the last two months, have been talking about him coming up to NorCal to do a podcast. And, yeah. Uh, he asked me to, oh, do it. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell I would talk about. And he's like, I know exactly what you should talk about. And I was like, oh, I know what you want to talk about. Yeah. Which is this, about like meeting people and, and how I have a, a fairly uh, large network. In I thought you were going to say mouth. Did you just say that? Large network and mouth? Is that no, what you said? in magic. Oh. My mouth is very tiny, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into that, how yeah. did we meet? Because that is up for debate. Yeah, so actually, I don't know how we met. Right? Very yeah. frankly, I don't know how we met. Yeah, me either. Um, I know that I met you at MagicCon 2. Okay. I think it was through Michael Feldman. Mm-hmm. Um, because you'd met Michael at another convention, I no, guess? No, it was at MagicCon 2, as I Ah, so if you met Michael at MagicCon 2, I met you at MagicCon 2 for sure. Okay. Because I was hanging out with Michael and the guys. And, uh, we were probably drinking in the rooms. Yeah, I wasn't. Because I was... Oh, yeah, you were underage. Like you were definitely not drinking in the rooms. <laughs> um, no, I have no problem with underage drinking. Uh, for, for myself, listeners... <laughs> uh, I, have, I, I do yeah. not condone illegal and illicit behavior, generally. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, to, to each their own, I suppose. Uh, but Don't do drugs, kids. They're terrible. No, I'm just saying that when... Well, yes, that. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm just saying when... At Magic Con 2, I don't think I had started drinking just because I was young and I don't I wasn't yeah. in college yet. You know, so. so I either met you at Magic Con 2 then or mm-hmm. at the first Pebble Palooza. Yeah. It was one of those two conventions. Yes. So I've known you for about five years, plus or minus some time. Yeah. And I'm sure when Facebook tells us our friendversary happens, we'll know how we met. Maybe. Like, that'll be a clue. Yeah. <laughs> but over the last, like, I don't know, five years, I've seen you every 
so often. I yeah. think three or four years ago, I was out in New Orleans with uh, my company for like a oh, that's company right. trip. I forgot about and that. So that was like one of the first times I actually got to sit and talk to you for an extended period of time. And you met and my girlfriend at the time. I and did. We sat in session. With you, Steve your Reynolds. girlfriend, and Steve Reynolds and I. We just sat in session for hours in the lobby while my entire company was like, "Let's go drink," and I was like, "I'd rather do card tricks." Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. Uh, do you remember how bad Steve fried us with that scrape cut? Yeah, dude. It's on that my Instagram. That scrape cut is great. So can good. you can you find me that link after this? I wanna, yeah, totally. I'm going to write a note because so we have. Also, I have a note that you still need to tell us the Thanksgiving before last story. Thanksgiving before last? Yeah. Or you, you said some time before last Thanksgiving story. No, not Thanksgiving. That was time before last at Seven Grand in San Diego. Yeah, that's what you need to tell us a story about at some point. Okay. When Rahul says us, he doesn't mean you listeners. He means Theron and Michael and himself. I'm sorry I tried. You guys could have had an amazing story from Ellie. <laughs> it is a very good story, but it is not at all <laughs> pertinent to this conversation. <laughs> and It's just on the list of things I need to ask Elliot about this week. Yeah. So, uh, uh, let's... Okay, let's we don't back have, up a little. Well, hold on. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was going to say. So, we met. Yeah. And then, in that time, I think... Uh, We've, we've met up when we were in the same places or conventions and spent time together talking about uh, magic, women, travel, food, cigars, drinks. And I think over time we've become more and more regular about chatting. And I think, you know, in the last year, I think I've talked to you on the average once every two weeks for a couple hours on the phone. Yeah, that and sounds about right. Talking about everything from card tricks to jobs to... You know what's kind of weird and maybe a little uncomfortable is, like, <clears throat> for a while there, you just really bothered me all the time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Sorry, listeners, my phone just went off. Uh, because, and I attribute this a lot to myself and just how, uh, how much I've changed in the last three years. Sure. But I used to be much more abrasive. And so you're, we, we have discussed that we're very similar, right? Yeah. And so I used to not be able to deal with that. (laughs) I can see that. (laughs) Right? So like, so I would get annoyed with you. Uh, and I don't know if I was ever. No, I don't think you ever told me this before. It's really funny. Like, yeah, I could totally see it because I've also gotten annoyed with you and then realized that like. Oh, I'm annoyed because he's doing exactly what I would do. That was the joke I wanted to make, damn it. Yeah. So we kind of... <laughs> and, and and before we, like, really kind of connected over girls, I think, is when it really started to, like... Yeah. Yeah. I think that one night at the Magic Castle yeah. was, like, pretty solid yeah. bonding night of, it was, like, yeah. hours of talking. Yeah. Uh, and, but, yeah, I don't know. It was just, like, we were both kind of... When we're around friends, we're big personalities. Yeah, and I think it's it's hard to have competing personalities in a room. And I think both of us... I'll speak for you here. I don't know if this is true. I'm curious. Okay. I try to fill the role that needs filling in a group. Not oh, totally. intentionally, but subconsciously. Totally. Same. And generally, I find when you have a large group of especially magician <laughs> friends hanging out or meandering, yeah. nobody's sort of leading direction to say, hey, let's go do this thing. Otherwise, we'll just sit around and do card tricks in the lobby forever. Yeah. 
and I want to go like, hey, we're in San Diego. Let's go see an awesome restaurant in San Diego while we're at this amazing convention. Yeah. And so I tend to be like, all right, let's make plans. This yeah. is the time. Let's go. Let's move. Let's hustle. Like, go, yeah, yeah, go, yeah. go, sure. guys. Let's do things. Yeah. And I also tend to be an instigator. Like, all right, let's round of shots. Like, yeah. You know Theron as well, right? Table 14 yes. is, is a thing that happens. That's yeah. a... Um, That's another reference that you guys won't understand. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Not intentional. Some of you might understand, Brian. <laughs> but, Thanks for uh, listening, Brian. <laughs> but um, I guess my point is that yeah. we both try and fill that position. Yeah. And so when you don't know that somebody else is going to take that role, suddenly you have two people trying to lead in different directions. Yeah. And you get sort of pissed that the other person's leading. And you're like, oh, wait, they're leading. Like, cool, let them do that. Or yeah. coordinate and be like... Hey, Elliot, what do you want to do tonight? Cool, let's make that happen. Exactly. So I, as I have personally matured, I have been able to give up that control much more easily. Yeah, I think me as well, right? Like, I'm a little bit more cognizant about other people's wants and desires and like, yeah. hey, what do you want to do tonight, Elliot? Do you want that, to do Cuban food? Let's I think the biggest difference between the two of us, though, is that you do not take no for an answer. That's a fair point. I think that that's interesting. You don't. We'll use the car for. We'll use the 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 drive to uh, your parents' house as an example. Um, I can't remember what the example was, but it was happening. You were uh, something about. Ugh! What was it? Solitaire? It might have been solitaire. No, I don't think it was solitaire. It was something... Anyway, the, the gist of it was, why are you doing that? Here's why. And then you go, well, why don't you just do this? And I'm like, because of this reason. You're like, well, why don't you do this instead? And I'm like, because I don't want to. And then you're like, well, how about this and this? And then you get everything you want. And I was like, but that takes a lot more effort. And you're like, yeah, but you get what you want. And I was like, yes, you're right, but I'm not going to do that because it takes a lot more effort. And you were like, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So, okay. So maybe it's a semantic thing and I'll, I'll take full credit for being, uh, I guess, uh, particular that way. When you say you don't take no for an answer, yeah, I think that is a personality that is very stubborn and obstinate, which I can be yeah, completely. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think that tends to have negative connotations, and I think what you're talking about... Yeah, here, I don't mean it to I, have negative yeah, connotations. Yeah, I think you're talking about, like, I don't let the conversation stop at surface level. I'll keep digging. Yeah. Right? And, like... Yeah. And you'll also push people to do things where their gut reaction is, no, I don't want to do that. And you're like, but it's going to be fun. I promise it's going to be okay. Let's just go and do it. Yeah, I think that's right. No, 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 no. Until they say yes. And then they're like, thank you, Rahul, for making me come do this thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right to some degree. I think there's a... Like, there's a limit. There is definitely a limit for me internally as to how far I'll push people. Of course. I think that limit might be a lot farther than most people's. Yes. (laughs) Which is your point, right? Yes, that is my point. I'm willing to push people a little bit out of their comfort zone if I think it's going to be good for them. Yeah. And if I care about the person. Yes. I won't do it for some stranger on the street. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But that plays into the thing. (laughs) Right. A lot. Absolutely. Which is, what's the thing? We danced around it. Yeah, I think the thing is, like... 
how did you get to know all of these people in magic so well? Yeah. It's not just getting to know them, because I think we all know them. But how have you gotten to have conversations with people who we all respect and admire and yeah. and have a personal relationship with those people? Yeah. For someone who nobody knows who you are, like, a lot of people know who you are really well. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not a name in the magic community, but all the names know you. Yes. Well, and, and seek you out when they come into town and go yeah, to dinner and that kind of thing. Totally true. Yeah. Um, it's really funny. Uh, I was... So, you know who Bob White is. I think yes. most... I don't know if most of the listeners do or don't, but... Bob White was a student of Di Vernon. Uh, he was Jared Cobb's teacher. Is... Oh, yes. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. Good, good. Yes. Nice catch. He uh, was a student of Di Vernon's because Di Vernon is dead now. <laughs> He's That's a, why I used past because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was continuing in the past. But yeah, yeah, Bob's, he, Bob's an incredible guy, right? He's a 70-some-year-old magician. Yes. Who Texas, lives in Texas. Jerichoff's teacher. Yeah, and, um, and truly like a gentleman. Old-school consummate gentleman. He was such a gentleman. And uh, I met him through Jared. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sat down in, in Texas at a convention I was at and... He asked me to was show TAOM him. or Pebble or I think it was TAOM, one of the first ones because I think. So like I think, knowing everybody in Magic just to get back to this root cause question thing, yeah, goes back to like four people. Mm-hmm. It goes back to Theron. Yep. It goes back to Chad Long, yep. Eric Mead, and Juan. So I'm gonna write down Theron, Chad, Eric. And yeah, 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 Juan. and we'll go through them. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Bob White. Right, so I met Bob White, and we're sitting there, and he asks me to show him something. I have no clue what I showed him. Um, I showed it to him, we talked. And then uh, a week, a couple months later, he was in uh, San Francisco for the Golden Gate Gathering, and he saw him there. Yeah. And he said, hey, do you remember that thing I showed you? And I said, yeah, I've been working on it. And I showed it to him, and he goes, oh, you're much better, you've improved, like, here's the next thing. Yeah. And then gave me, like... Which is also very old school. Yeah, right? I think a lot of it boils down to, like, hey, when you talk to people, show that you've actually worked and internalized the things that they're telling you. Mm -hmm. I think this goes back to something you said at lunch, right? Which is people aren't ready to have a discussion unless they feel like they've been heard. Yes. And I think that's the old school of magic, right? Mm -hmm. Teachers are willing to teach when they see that the student is listening... And working at what they've been taught. Yeah. And so, um, maybe because of how I was brought up or what I was interested in or whatever, I was working on this thing that Bob showed me and, you know, he loved it. And he asked me to mail him some stuff back and I mailed him some stuff. Uh, he had extra DVDs he was selling or whatever, but he gave me a set of every single thing that he was selling and notes. And then we started talking on the phone regularly and... Uh, we start talking about, like, razors, right? Mm-hmm. He saw the razor that, that he'd polished for me. Yeah. Which is just, like, this old single-blade, like, razor from the 30s, all-metal brass. It's an old butterfly, brass copper. It's beautiful. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And and so we'd talk about that sort of stuff. And then every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, how's your bottom deal coming along? Have you figured out this problem yet? And I'd be like, what? we're talking about razors. What's going on? But it was, the, you know, it was a real friendship. It, it is a real friendship. It's not just talking about magic all the time and yeah. when you go to dinner you don't take out your cards you have dinner and mm-hmm. then maybe there's a time that's right for it so, yeah it's interesting yeah yeah um yeah so i asked bob once i was like bob like 
shit, you sat down with Vernon and Charlie Miller and, and, and everybody back in the day. Like, why the hell are you taking the time to talk to me? Mm-hmm. And he said, very simply, he's like, Rahul, there's only two reasons I'm willing to share anything with anyone. Mm-hmm. One, they show that they care about it, they're passionate about it, and they're, they're truly interested in the art. And two, is that you have to see potential in the person. And I guess that's the answer, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think there's more to it than that. Um, and, and if you can demonstrate those qualities, people tend to be open to talking to you yeah. and sharing and, and having these really like, you know, fundamentally deep conversations about sure. whatever. <clears throat> you have to remove a sense of ego. Absolutely. You know, and that, I didn't get to make this point at lunch with your parents, Yeah. but what I was thinking was like, so I'm from North Louisiana I moved to Southern California. I don't come into contact with a lot of Indian people. Yeah. Right? You're Indian. Uh, Northern California, there are Indian restaurants and Indian groceries and, like, you know, there's a yeah. ton of that culture here and your parents live five minutes away, so we went to their house for lunch. Uh, I have not had much Indian food in my life. I yeah. don't really know the Indian culture. I'm not very familiar with it. The first thing I did when I got there or when we were going to sit down at the table is I was like, look, I have no idea what to do. Please tell me what to do. Yeah. And I was asking you in the car on the way over. I was like, how... Yeah, well, how do I address them? Is there, like, some certain, like, respect... Should I be, like, sir or madam? Like, that's, I think, what you were saying. And that's that removing that ego is, like, if you you show that you care and that you're interested and you take, like, the possibility of being embarrassed out of it. Yeah. It's one of the most interesting things about magic, right? Mm -hmm. You go to a convention and, like, at a convention, we as magicians get to sit down with, if you take the parallel analogy of guitar players going to a convention, yeah. we get to sit down with the Jimi Hendrix of our generation Clapton's and ask and questions, John right? And, yeah. and in the guitar world, it just doesn't work that way. You have to work your way up. You go to a basic teacher first, and maybe when you get good enough, you can go ask questions. Yeah. And so there's, like, I think it's, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. One, you get new ideas to come to these masters really more frequently. Yeah. But at the same time, at a convention, these masters also get, like, inundated with questions that maybe aren't interesting to them or aren't at the right level. Yeah. And so there's this, like, fine balance that we have to walk Mm. that I find really interesting as an analogy. Well, and that, like, to find that balance, you have to listen. Yeah. So it's good. That's another thing that is interesting is when I go to a convention... Or I'm hanging out with somebody. I don't ever do magic. I sit and I shut my mouth and I listen. And then I respond pertinently to the vibe, to the style, to the topics. So that, you know, people can tell that I'm engaged. Yeah, I think 100%. I think one of the best ways you can do it, aside from what you're talking about, is coming with a list of questions that are pertinent to the person. Yeah. Right? So, like, I think asking about how to do a double lift is generally not pertinent to a person. Mm -hmm. But if you ask about, hey, what were your favorite tricks when you were a kid? Yeah. Or what do you love about magic? Or, like, what is your favorite plot? Yeah. Those are questions that people can get passionate about at any level. Yeah. And it it opens doors to conversations. Mm -hmm. Because then you'll find out that, like, hey, like... Tam, one of Tamarise's favorite books is The Fine Art of Magic by George Kaplan. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He's done every trick in that book, both as a close-up piece and as a stage piece. And he showed me his copy, and it's literally like, there is more writing in the margins than there is in the book. Yeah. Right? And, like, that's something I would have never known. Yeah. And I would have never investigated the book had I not asked that question. Yeah. And so, like, it just opens up great conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're one of the most well-read people that I know. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, I guess we like this kind of goes into piracy and that whole conversation with magic. Let's do it. Yeah. So, there's this interesting uh, theory I have uh-huh. about piracy being sort of. We look at it as if it's a different thing today than it than it was years ago. Yeah. Years ago, people worked in magic shops. And as a return, they were able to take books home, read them, and return them, which is essentially piracy, right? Like, they didn't pay for the book. Yeah. And today, when we have kids who are that age, like, they don't have a magic shop that they can go work at to get access to these books for the most part. So, like, at the end of the day, those people turn to the internet. And I was at that age when the internet was coming around. I was born and brought up in Silicon Valley, so tech was a thing, and I had a computer and a modem from, like, day one. Of course. And so, like... I had access yeah. to this digital library far beyond my means. Sure. And that's the reason I'm so well-read, because seventh grade through, like, probably senior year of high school, I read every magic book I could get my hands on as a PDF. Yeah. And I tried every trick, working them out with cards in hand or coins in hand, or if I didn't have a shell, I'd take two coins and pretend that I had a shell. And, yeah. you know, you do the things that you can yeah. to simulate and learn as much as you can. And because of that, I, I don't even think I'm all that well-read because I don't tend to remember names of stuff, but I'll see it and I go, I know I've read that somewhere. Yeah. And so that's, like, frustrating for me. You've forgotten more than most people will ever learn. <laughs> I think that's very generous, but possible. I think today uh, it's certainly yeah. accurate. And so, for me, it's interesting because, like, my goal now is... Anytime that there's a book out that I think I will be able to read the information and learn something, I will pay for it without a question. Yeah. And if I'm going to put something in my act, I'll certainly go out and buy one or two or three copies of it to, like, support the inventor because I think that's important. Yeah. And for me, like, that whole piracy argument, like, a lot of the stuff that's being put out together today, I think, is invented for the sake of selling it, not often for, like, hey, this is something that I've tried it. Like, Aussie's a great example of how to do it right. Yeah. He works on these effects for 10 or 15 or 20 years and then publishes it, not just as a closed-ended thing, but, hey, here are options and avenues that I haven't tried yet that you could go and investigate for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful, and I love Ossie, and he's a great human being. But also, like, that way of selling magic is about sharing a piece that is finished enough that, like, hey, this adds substantively to the magic knowledge database. Yeah. But it's not just selling it to make money. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And I think, like, a lot of these, like, single download color changes or whatever yeah. goes against that for me. And, and so that's, like, a I, I don't want to weigh in on the piracy issue, but I do think, like, there's an interesting perspective to say, like, there are people who don't have access to books and don't have the money for them. Yeah. And, like, how do we let those people come into the world mm-hmm. so that down the line they'll want to... Uh, yeah. contribute and give back to the community. And I think there are some great, like, Eric Jones is another example of a great human being. When he came to GGG, there was a 7-year-old or 10-year-old who was, like, eyeing his stuff. Mm-hmm. And Eric just took one of everything and gave it to him and is like, look, 
I don't want any money from you, but in four years, I want to see you doing all of that material. Yeah. And, like, shit, that's, like, the coolest thing that he could have done. Yeah, yeah. It's so much more impactful than, like, all right, let me give you one thing. And, yeah. it, you know, it left a memory in in me, and mm-hmm. I wasn't even the kid receiving the stuff. Yeah. So, like. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but, you know, I'm from North Louisiana. Oh, God, I just said it, like, ten minutes ago. But, I mean, like, I come from a place. From where, a land down under? I, <laughs> I come from a place where. If I hadn't had the internet, I wouldn't be a magician. Period. Period. Because the magicians that I saw were doing kid shows and they were doing stuff that was thoroughly uninteresting to me. And I would never have sought them out to learn that stuff. But I had the internet and I had Dan and Dave. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we'll go back to the list of people is maybe a good segue here of how I met Dan and Dave. So, uh... I had always been interested in magic. I read all these things as I was going through high school. Yeah. I went to college and I stopped doing magic entirely. Yeah. And then maybe three years into college, um, I was at a, I'm in a, I was in a fraternity and, uh, at the frat party, there was a deck of cards and there was like a talent show thing coming up and we were playing King's cup and I picked up the cards before we played and I did like three card tricks for the people at the party mm-hmm. and everybody loved it. And I was like, Oh yeah, I miss doing this. Yeah. And I found out like, one of the guys in my frat, this is how I originally got in contact with them, was a magician. And so that opened a lot of doors in my college life for me. Like, where I joined the fraternity came from magic. Yeah. Uh, the people came from magic, some of my best friends. And in doing that, I came back home to NorCal when I graduated. I found a job. And I was like, man, I don't know anybody my own age up in NorCal. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, where are the local... Like, let me go find out magic. Maybe that's the place where I'll find people my own age. We laugh now, but I, I wouldn't have thought that, right? Like... Yeah, yeah. So I called a guy, and he's like, yeah, there's a thing at my house every Friday. Is that the garage? And that's the garage. Will Chandler is the man, man. Let's talk about the garage after, you know... Yeah, road. we'll get to the garage. So... Make a note of it. I mean, it's part of the story, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, Will Chandler is a gem of a human being. He's a contractor. Uh... Moved from SoCal up to NorCal. I think he was an electrical engineer prior and then decided to go into contracting and uh, missed the garage. So he built a stage in his garage mm-hmm. and he built a bar in his living room. Mm-hmm. And that's his living room. And, and every Friday night for now, almost 10 years, I think. Wow. Every magician in the local Bay Area who's a member mm-hmm. can bring anybody they want. But you show up, you toss five bucks in a glass, and he has an open bar, serve yourself kind of thing, hang out, and, you know, do magic and chat. It's like just close friends getting together every Friday night, and it's awesome. Yeah. And workshop material on the stage. So the first night I went, I met Theron and John Bodine, and I showed them the five-card biddle trick, right? Like, that was the thing. They're like, show me something. This is what I do. And they're like, I vividly remember this, Theron... Being the the machine that he is, pulls out the... See, this is where I feel like I'm not well-read. I forget the name of the trick. Whatever. Devil's Miracle or something like that. It's the Biddle trick, but with two cards, and then they transpose from the deck to the packet thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he immediately shows it to me, and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I see what you did, but that's... You just did the trick that I did, but better. Yeah. And him and John Bodine are talking to me, and they go, look, you have the hard part down. You are able to talk to people and communicate and, like, it's enjoyable. You need to work on your technique. Yeah. Literally the one thing is in me. I'm like, 
yep, I've never had anyone to look at my technique and go, it's bad or good. Like, grew up working at home. Yeah. And, like, I didn't know how to practice with a camcorder or a mirror or any of that stuff. So. Yeah. And so I, uh, I went home. I worked on the thing. I came back the next week. I showed it to Theron. And he's like, oh, you actually worked on it. I'm like, yeah, like, you showed me this trick. Why wouldn't I work on it? And, like, we go back to that thing of people just want to see that they were heard, right? And I think, like, I guess he, there were so many people showed up to the garage who he would show stuff and they just wouldn't work on it. Yeah. And because of that, for years, like, like I think Theron and I are... Theron's probably my closest friend in NorCal. Yeah. And so, like, we hung out three, four days a week uh, at that time. Yeah. You know, I would go over to his place because I was living at home with my parents. And How he, old are you right now? I am 30. I just no, I meant, like, in the story. Oh, in the story, I'm, like, 21, 22. Okay. So Theron and I are going out to bars and, like, hanging out and yeah. doing card tricks. We're having a great time. And, uh... Like, six months into knowing Theron, Theron goes, hey, there's a convention happening. You have to go. I'm like, what's a convention? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and he's like, just, like, look, you just have to go. Just trust me. I'm like, all right, fine. So I look online. It's like $300. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll register. I'm like, okay, are you flying, driving? He's like, oh, I'm driving, but, like, figure it out. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll fly. I booked out all the things. I ended up rooming with another local NorCal magician going down. And I go to MagicCon. One. And of course, I've also broken my arm at this time. So, like, I'm in a cast. So, I can't do anything. So, to your point, I'm sitting there being respectful and asking pertinent questions, but I can't do shit. Yeah. And, uh... This is longer than six months knowing Theron. No, because you said today that you've known him Almost ten years. Almost. Almost ten years. Well, the first Magic Con was... 2007? Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. 2006 or 2007, right? Wow. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time passes, man. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. So so they like I go out, and like Theron's there, and he's in his element, and all the guys are there, and like, you know, Jay, Jay Raman, and Dustin, and like meet all those characters. and Yeah. And, uh, Could you imagine if I had Jay on this podcast? It'd be like a six-hour podcast. Can we call Jay in the middle of this podcast? No. <laughs> no, we cannot. Well, we might call him after tonight, though. Um, I want to be able to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just put we him on a like late, a radio. He'll talk for six hours. We had a late night last night. He could just do the podcast. And I wouldn't even have to be there. <laughs> Jay, record, you know, six hours six of a rant. And then send it to me. Hey, Jay, can you just talk about, like, why people don't put in the effort to, like, figure out the right techniques. And that, that's a good that's starting point. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so you're at Magicon. And uh, Theron... I love Jay, by the way. Yeah, this we both so do. We're just giving him a shit. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh, also a lawyer. He's, as most people are Is he lawyers. done or is he studying? He's, so, I think he's done. Oh, wow. He's done. Shit, he just flies. graduated, yeah. Jay, moved to California. Um, I know. He just. Uh, I saw him a couple months ago. He said he wants to move back. Anyway, go ahead. So, I go to MagicCon, I'm meeting some amazing people, right? And, like, I think the first night, Theron introduced me to Ricky Smith first. Because Dan and Dave were busy running the convention. Now, Theron, Ricky, Dan, and Dave were, like, friends since they were, like, 11, 12, right? So, they've been known each other for 10 years already at that point. And so, he introduced me to Ricky. And Ricky and I hit it off immediately because we were both drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... Ricky's like, I need help setting up the suite t- 
to like get drinks. I'm like, great. Like I've done this a million times. I was in a frat. Cool. Let's grab ice buckets. We're going to fill the sink. We're going to block the sinks and then we'll have cold beers. We'll do a gar- couple garbage bins actually work really nice for cooling drinks. And we yeah. set up the whole like bathroom to be like ice in the bathtub full of beers and like stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, and then Ricky's like, oh, we got to go. We got to go. Juan's performing. And I'm like, what? Who's the fuck is Juan? Like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And, and so we go downstairs and I watched Juan Tamari's just, demo- I don't know if you remember, were you, no- you were there. Like, so Magicon won. I've never seen Juan. Fuck. Ever. All right, we're going to go to Spain. Okay. Um, so there's an escalator. Uh-huh. And right underneath the escalator, there's a table and Juan sets up. And there's literally a hundred magicians. No joke, a hundred magicians standing there. And Juan holds court and does a close-up show out of nowhere for like an hour and a half. Yeah. I think I watched like 30 minutes of it. And my head was blown so bad that I walked away for a little bit and came back. Yeah. And I remember I called my ex, at the, my girlfriend at the time, and I said, like, I think I'm going to quit magic because I'll never be that good. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm like, I was just done. I yeah. had no clue. I didn't know Monica at this time. Like, yeah, yeah. nothing, right? Yeah. Well, that's what people say is one beats you up with magic. I mean, like, it's not an exaggeration. I was so done. There was nowhere for me to go. I had no options, right? Yeah. And so... At the same convention, I'm meeting JC and smoking his pipe with him. Yeah. I met David Blaine. Yeah. Like, met Kalush. Yeah. Chad Long. Mm-hmm. Eric Mead. Like, yeah. Aussie. Like, everybody and their mom is at the this who's convention. Who, yeah. Michael Weber. Yep. <clears throat> and as we're meeting these people, like, literally, some of them are like, I pity you because this is your first convention experience and it's all downhill from here. Yeah. And they're not far from wrong. Until Pebble Blues. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Anyway, go ahead. Um, and GGG. So I anyway. go through this whole convention. Yeah. And, like, there, everybody who performed was phenomenal, no questions. But for me, Tamarese was the highlight, right? And I think very few people would argue with that. Sure. We watch it, and then he does his stage show. And I'm, I watched the stage show stone-cold sober. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, maybe I was hammered last night. Like, whatever. Like, I watch him just like, no. So I buy all of Tamarese's books. I go home that weekend and I spent the weekend reading and I just read every book. I was like, oh, like I start seeing pieces. Yeah. I go online. I scour for information. I'm like, oh, he's from Spain. Like, how am I ever going to go see him again and learn from him? Because that's once you see something. Once I see something, I don't think it's you. When yeah. when when I see something, I find fascinating. I maybe it's OCD. Maybe it's you know the curiosity or whatever yeah i'm just like all in right yeah i'm the kind of person like oh you're gonna start cooking cool go buy like the thousand dollar knife and like learn how to cook yeah um i don't like ramp my way up very well you want to do it right the first time and yeah Yeah. so i started looking and and i'm like okay cool so like one thing i noticed about juan right away is that it didn't feel Mm -hmm. like it was technique driven yeah and given that the first piece of feedback I ever got was that you have the hard part, but you need to work on your technique, I was like, well, he doesn't look like he has technique. And he yeah, does. Of course. But he doesn't look like it, and that's what I want my magic to feel like. I want it to feel like that. And yeah. so how do I go build that? Let's go learn from the master. And so I then, you know what? The first Magicon was in 2010. You're okay, right. So, You're right. right. It's been seven years. Not ten years since okay. I Um, 
So I find out that the next time Juan's coming to the States is World Magic Seminar in 2011 or 2012. So I book tickets and he's doing his workshop full day and I book, I signed up for both of them even though it's going to be the same one. I don't care. Yeah. And I go there and that that first night that I'm there, like I meet um, Farrell Dillon, mm-hmm. who Farrell grew up in Monterey Salinas and I'd met him several times at first night out is a thing that Monterey does on New Year's Eve. And my family used to go, so I'd meet him. First magician I ever met in real life. Yeah. We'd walk the streets and have a great time. It was fun. And uh, he introduced me to Ossie and John Armstrong at World Magic Seminar. And we're sitting there talking. And Ossie and I are talking. And I like loved Ossie. And I'm sitting there like just getting my mind blown by Ossie. And I'm like, this feels like Tamarese's magic. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know at this time that Ossie was a Tamarese student as well. Yeah. And uh, later that night, we go... And I'm hanging out with Ossie, and he says he needs help setting up the room for his show and checking the venue. And I'm like, oh, I can help you. Like, I'm not doing anything. I'll help move chairs or whatever. And so we go in, and we walk in, and Ossie is like, I guess great minds think alike. Juan's in there checking his room for his show, which is before Ossie's. Yeah. So we How go do you with- follow Juan? I don't know, right? <laughs> like, what the fuck? I know. Okay, <clears> and so Ossie was pissed about that that day. I bet. So we're sitting there. Why Why would you put me after him? Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, and I think it's because Juan was doing a lecture and us he was doing a one-man show, but even sure. still, right? Yeah. And so they're checking it and Juan's like making jokes about how the camera's white exposure is like, oh, new disappearing card. Look, I tilt and it disappears and like stuff like that. Mm. And Juan's wife is standing there kind of just off to the side, Consuelo, and she's just quiet. And I'm like, oh, and turns out she doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. And I speak Spanish, so I go and I introduce myself to her, and I'm chatting, and I'm like, oh, this is so cool, I'm so excited to be here, and she's, like, loving the fact that somebody's speaking English, yeah. <laughs> Spanish to her, excuse me. Yeah. And um, so we set up the chairs, we move some chairs for Asi and Juan, and then we're, like, ten minutes from showtime, and I'm like, oh, shit, I've got to go outside, and, and Asi's like, no, 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 just stay, this is your seat, like, great. And I've got, like, my box of leftovers from lunch, and I'm, like, kind of hungry, and I'm like, yeah. hey, like, are we going to get dinner? And he's like, yeah, yeah, after the show, don't worry, like. Just don't worry about your leftovers. I'm like, okay. And we're sitting there and Juan's like, oh man, I'm starving. And I'm like, I mean, it's, I mean, if you want, I have leftovers. You're more than welcome to pick at my leftovers because otherwise I'm going to toss them. And Juan's like, oh, thank you. And he eats my leftover chicken fajitas. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, yeah. Right? So we're sitting there and we watch the show and the shows, both shows are phenomenal. And at that show, Asi Wynn did his Mona Lisa trick mm-hmm. with a painting that he had hand painted of Juan. And wow. so he literally comes out into the audience and matches the piece with Juan's head for the color. He's <laughs> like hilarious, right? Yeah, yeah. So we go and do the thing. And afterwards, like after the two shows, there's no break in between. Everybody wants Juan and Asi's signatures and photos and all the things. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to eat. I'm starving. I'm like, I'm not even caring anymore. I'm just like, I need to eat. Yeah. Hangry. And then suddenly, like, I, I, you know, like Consuelo needs some help translating and taking photos too. Like, fine. Mm-hmm. And then Asi's like, okay, come on, let's go what do you mean and like we walk out some side door in the Orleans I don't know where the hell we are mm-hmm. and we go to some sushi restaurant and I'm sitting there helping translate and at the restaurant it's Juan Consuelo myself Johnny Thompson Pam Ossie Wind and Peter Samuelson wow and I'm just like the fuck how am I here yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and literally no clue why I was invited that day right yeah so we're sitting there we go we eat sushi and and we finish our dinner, and dinner was fantastic. And Juan pulls out a deck of cards, and he's like, oh, yeah, this thing. And he starts showing some magic. Mm-hmm. And the waiter comes by and goes, 
oh, sorry guys, we're actually closed, you guys have to leave. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, I'm about to see the thing that I flew to Vegas to see. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> and so, like, we get up and walk, and I'm like, what the shit? I'm like, I'm like a little bit, but I don't want to say anything, because I don't know what the etiquette is, right? Sure, yeah. And I'm like, hey, Aussie, like, what's what's going to happen? He's like, just, and I'm like, okay. And he's like, he just holds his hand up, right? And he shuts me, he's just wait. I'm like, okay. And so Aussie looks at Juan and goes, so Juan, what do you want to do? And Juan looks at him and it's like midnight, right? And I'm yeah. like, oh man, the seven-year-old guy, he's probably going to go to sleep or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Juan looks at Aussie and goes, magic, of course. <laughs> and so we go upstairs and you know how the Orleans has where all the magic conventions are, that little hallway? Yeah. We go up there and that world magic seminar was weird because there was zero people sessioning. So we go upstairs and there's literally like five people still sessioning. Yeah. And I think Brad Henderson was talking to a few people. We walk down the hall, and it's me, Asi, and Juan now, and Consuelo. And we walk down the hall, and we walk to a couch. Mm-hmm. We sit down, and it's literally the five of us. And Juan just talks and does magic till six in the morning. Wow. And then, I like, Frankie Morales came and joined us briefly. And uh, Andrew Goldenhirsch came and joined us. Andrew actually fell asleep with his iPad in his lap. And Juan loaded a couple cards in his iPad. It was just like, there was some, like, fun shit going on, right? But, yeah. like... Juan destroyed me. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about... I have notes from this night still, but like I can remember a lot of them. Um, there's one conversation about should there only be one effect in a trick or not? And Juan says, no, here's an example of a trick that has five effects and they mm-hmm. work together, so it's okay. And like, it was a it was this cool trick where like, he borrowed my deck, yeah. and I remember he had us choose a, a vague recollections now in building memories, but name a suit and then he takes the four aces and the four aces turn into 12 cards Mm -hmm. and the 12 cards happen to be the two through king of my deck in order and the rest of the deck is shuffled and then the four cards that were the aces are not the aces and the aces are just gone and he gives me my deck back and my deck doesn't have four aces in it i'm like what (laughs) (laughs) just it was such a disconcerting like miracle yeah and then like the next morning his, his first lecture started at 11 a.m., so I woke up late, and I'm there. And I walk into the room, and he's like, Rahul, I'm on time. Like, <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was just incredible. Yeah. And so uh, that was my first real sit-down with Juan and, and, and magicians of caliber. Yeah. And, man, changed my life. Sure, of course. Yeah. As it does. Yeah. You know? Completely. Yeah. So, I don't know where we were before that. So, we, that was Theron. That, <laughs> that was Theron that turned into Juan. Yeah, Theron did turn into Juan. Okay, so so now, like, I've met Juan once, but I don't have a relationship with the guy. Uh, so, I go to a convention. It was TAOM a couple yeah. years later, a year later. And uh, I'm at the convention, and... Oh, I know what it is. So at this convention, so now for three years, I've been working on um, the ball and vase. Mm-hmm. So Mike Gallo has a version of the ball and vase that's fantastic. And I'd read Arcade Dreams, which had a Marlowe handling of uh, ball and vase. And I'd put the two together and I changed some things. And I had like, at the very end, I had a ball and vase that would color change from blue to red and, like, the entire vase would change. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, sort of interesting new things, quote-unquote new. 
And I don't, I don't think they were good, right? So I don't do it anymore. But they were interesting. And at the time, I was like, okay, I'm going to show this to some people and get some feedback. And like maybe they have better ideas for how to do some of these switches or whatever. And so I'm showing it to my friends. And I think at some point I sat down and like Michael Weber is sitting in front of me. He's like, oh, so I heard I got to see this. I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah. So like I showed him and then Eric Mead and Chad and they loved it. And oh, here's some ideas and you can do this. And so I started chatting with them and we're sitting there and we get to drink in bourbon and whiskey and scotch. And like, I like those things and yeah. they like those things minus, I don't know that Weber drinks very much, but Chad and Eric, of course, yeah. like some bourbon on occasion and. The next day, I think uh, Eric was performing, and when he walked off stage, I just had a, a, a glass of Four Roses for him. And when Chad walked off stage, I had a glass of Four Roses for him, and we hung out, and we chatted, and yeah. those guys are best of friends. And, um, you know, like, in that conversation, I was talking to Eric about Juan and how I love this thing that he did and showed this thing, and um, I don't know, like, that... <clears throat> sort of continued and Eric introduced me to a few people and I guess because I got along well with them or st so this is the part that I can't explain right like I can explain generating or developing a relationship with one person what I don't know is how those people interpret your relationship and then like that word spreads about yeah. like oh this guy's a good guy or like really interested or has interesting questions or I have no idea what happened but I know that, like, suddenly doors were open to me and a lot more people were willing to talk to me. And I don't know if it's because they saw me talking to these people or because these people said nice things about me. I have no clue yeah. to this day how that happened. Mm -hmm. But as that happened, I started, like, getting to know people. And then at GGG, there was a guy from Spain, Eduardo Kaufman Sanchez, a very good friend. He's, like, 20-something. He came out and he, was, he spoke English and Spanish, but he was doing Gabby's Aces Through the Table. And, like, nobody had seen or heard of Gabby at this point. Right? Yeah. And I'm talking to him in Spanish. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And can you teach me? And I'm, like, working on it. And I'm showing him some stuff and going back and forth. He's like, you should come to Spain and meet the magicians. I'm like, yes, when? And he's like, I don't know, well, next year? Okay, fine. So I booked a flight. And I went to Spain for my birthday. And this was, like, four years ago, I think. Yeah. And uh, so I go to Spain. And I meet up with Eduardo in Barcelona. He meets me at the airport, and we go straight from the airport to the hostel, drop off our bags, and go to a coffee shop and sit down with Gabby. And I sat down with Gabby in Barcelona for, like, eight hours. Wow. And I was jet-lagged, but I was like, nope, I'm fighting through this. And so, um, you know, at this point, I've told Eric, hey, I'm going to Spain. I would love to see Juan do a show or, like, meet him for dinner or something. I'd love to take him out to dinner and pick his brain and, like, I've been working on this ball and vase routine or whatever that I want to show him. I don't even yeah. remember what it was at the time. <clears throat> and Eric goes, look, I can't give out his number or, or any contact information, but I'll put in a word and see what happens. Mm -hmm. I'm like, great. Here's how he can reach me if he so chooses. Mm -hmm. So my friend Eduardo gets a phone call and and he picks up and he goes, hello. And the other end goes, this is Juan. And, and Eduardo goes, Juan who? And Eduardo's a magician, too, which is just really funny, right? Yeah. And he's like, Juan Tamariz. <laughs> he's, like, very offended. <laughs> it's really funny. And so, like, I, you know, I he's like, oh, this is for Rahul. Oh, hey. And hey, Juan. And he's like, oh, hey, happy birthday. I hear you're in Spain. When are you coming to my house? And I'm like, what do you mean? When right am I, now. I'm like, coming right now. Where do you live? How do I need, do I need to leave now? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, so these days are good and these days are not good because I already have guests coming those days. I'm sorry. I would invite you for a week, but... I can't. Can you can you come these days? I'm like, yes, done. I'll be there. 
So I literally got off the phone and booked tickets on a train. Mm-hmm. So we go to Sevilla. We fly to Sevilla, which we'd already planned to do. And from Sevilla, we took a train down to Juan's place in Cadiz. And when we're, we get there, we, we go to Juan's house at like 6.30 p.m. And he's not awake yet. Yeah. So we, like, we sit around for a minute and he wakes up like half an hour later and comes downstairs and we're uh, talking and he's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, and so like two hours into the conversation, I'm hungry because it's now like 10 p.m. and I'm like still jet lagged a little. Yeah. And, and I'm like, so are we going to eat? And he's like, oh, yeah, we should go get food. This place is great. And so we go and we have like the best food of my life. Um, and we go out and we eat and we come back and we're sitting and talking card tricks. And it's now like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. And Juan's like, where are you guys staying tonight? And I was like, I... We haven't thought that far in advance. Like we're we're flying by the seat of our pants. We got here. Our that, bags that are in your goal. are in your like, you know, entry area. <clears throat> and he goes, "Oh, well, then just stay here. We have a guest room. Like, stay." Mm. And I'm like, "Are you really? Are you sure?" And he's like, "Yeah." So so we stayed with Juan for two days, and man, it was like the greatest, greatest time of my life. Yeah. And uh, you know, I learned so much from Juan. Just how to think about magic and how to try new things and see if they fit and uh, structuring a show and, you know, it was everything. It was, com- and then, like, you know, we'd talk about life, too, and, like, what do you do and what is computer programming and, like, what is that like and yeah. film and theater and it was a grand time. And so that's sort of that, like, Eric Mead led to Juan in a way, too. All roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to Juan. So it's just funny that way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really fortunate experience. What I'm hearing from, like, so you don't take no for an answer. In a good way. Yeah. But what I'm also hearing is that you're actively pursuing the things that you want, right? Yeah. And it takes it takes us... Self-awareness isn't quite what I'm talking about, but it's the thing that keeps popping in my head. But you have to not be afraid of what could go wrong. You, like, you should come to Spain. (laughs) Done. Book the flight. It takes leaps of faith. Yeah. You gotta throw your head over the wall. I I think, like, this comes from... uh, We'll go back to Theron for a second. His grandfather once told him that everybody should work a job in sales at least once in their life. Yeah. Because everything in life is sales. Yeah. And I think uh, to tie to that, like I think having immigrant parents really structures the way you think. My parents came to this country. My dad came to the country with $40 in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And he got off the train in Santa Barbara. He's going to UCSB for master's PhD. Put a dollar in a Coke machine. It wouldn't give him his Coke. He walks away. Some other guy came in, put a dollar in the Coke machine, kicked it and got two Cokes. And my dad was like, fuck, that was... You know, like, yeah. a lot of my money. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that story stuck out with me. And my dad's opportunities in life, a lot of them have come from asking. Like, try. Yeah. You never know. Put out 500 resumes. Maybe you'll get a job. Who knows? Yeah. And so, like, there's no harm in asking as long as you ask politely. Yeah. And so, like, I remember even in my fraternity days, I needed an internship that summer. I met an alumni who was a game developer. And I was like, do you guys have any internships? And he's like, you know what? I like your chutzpah. Yeah, we can make that happen. Yeah. And so, like, you just got to ask. And, and I think if you ask... Uh, In a way where the person is given the opportunity to, to say, say no. no. Yeah, you have to ask sincerely. Yeah. Like, hey, I really want to know, would you be okay with this? Yeah. Then people aren't offended to say no, and people aren't offended to say yes, but, like, it gives you that opportunity. And you never know. 
what you can get without asking. Yeah. If you don't ask, you'll 100% not get it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, like, there's a lot of take risks, but it's not a risk. Like, worst case, you go to Spain and have a vacation, right? Like Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, so it was just like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. So for the last three years, I've gone to Spain every year for like a week or two mm-hmm. and hung out with Spanish magicians and gone to Spanish conventions and it's been fantastic. Yeah. And I met some great people and... So MagicCon 2, I met Danny and uh, translated his book uh, for his stack deck, my personal stack, and that's on uh, the Reloaded DVDs. It actually comes as, as a translation PDF cool. of his book. And because of that, I started helping him translate the magazine Manuscrito and then ended up like meeting a bunch of Spanish magicians. And um, I wouldn't say I'm the best English to Spanish translator. I would, in fact, say I can get the gist but not fine language. Spanish to English, on the other hand, I'm very capable of translating to make sure at least the meaning gets across. Yeah. And so, uh, and I can communicate in Spanish. So because of that, I was able to like help some people translate things and arrange some lectures and, and tours of, of Spaniard magicians in, in California. And over time, that's really helped build my network. And, you know, like, you know, my house, it's a pretty open house. Like I have a key under the back mat. And like right now there's like, what, four people staying with us. Casa de Srinivasan. Yeah. Casa de Srinivasan. The hotel's always open. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> well, you don't have to go anywhere. I just like to give people space at the end in case they <laughs> find something else they want to say. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned your dad coming, uh, to America. Yeah. And he was telling me today at lunch while you were in the kitchen or trying on that shirt or whatever. Dashing, wasn't it? It was. I did like that shirt. I'm going to keep it. Uh, He was telling me that... And it was funny. His body language totally changed when he told when he was done. Because he was sitting in the chair, you know, like this. And then he was like... uh, Rahul has been into me. And he was asking me about what kind of magic I do and what I'm interested in. And he's like, yeah, Rahul was getting his MBA, and and when he started talking about this, he, like, got up in his chair, and he got, like, all posed, and was, like, really upright, and he was like, I'm putting the father cap on now. <laughs> but he said, you know, like, I was worried that Rahul wasn't doing his schooling, and this other thing was taking a lot of his time. And he's like, but I can't tell him not to do something that he loves. And he was, you know, getting so much enjoyment out of it. I wasn't going to tell him to, like... And I'm sure that he did tell you to. No, I think, like... But I mean, like... Yeah. There's definitely been that conversation with my parents before of, like... Sure. Like, even this week, for example. My mom is, like, super protective of my time and making sure that I do the things that are right. And she's like, look, if you're busy with work stuff, you should tell Elliot that you're busy. And, like, he'll figure it out. Yeah. There's other people in the area that he knows. And I'm like... Yeah, of course. Like, I think now I don't think that way, but I think I would sacrifice a lot for friendships and for for uh, people who are in town. Like, cool, I'm going to not work for three days. And yeah. Like, go do this thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, like, it's a justified concern <laughs> that at the time. Yeah. Well, I guess, like, what what is it that you got in school? 
like you have your MBA, but what's it in, and how how does that relate back to magic? Because I find that like the stuff that I learn, I'm always trying to relate it back to magic, for better or worse. Yeah, I mean, it's, an, it's another lens. Yeah. Um. So. There's, I think there's an interesting way to answer this question, so I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. Please. I think another way of answering this question is, why do you do magic? Okay. And I think most people do magic for one of three reasons when they start. Okay. So one is the, like, social awkwardness. We all talk about it. It's yeah. a crutch, right? Yeah. Um, the second one is this, like, power over other people when you're a seven control yeah and when you're seven and you can do a trick and there's like a 40 year old man who's like what the fuck how did you do that mm-hmm. like there's a little bit what of the like fuck child <laughs> yeah and even with peers i think right at that age where you're like oh yeah i know something you don't know like yeah. there's there's a huge power dynamic sure and then i think the third reason is the engineering puzzle aspect of, it, sure. of like how do i figure this out yeah and that can take the technical vein and it can take sort of the social vein. I might even not say socially awkward as the first one, but uh, figuring out the puzzle of, of people dynamics. And I think it's, it's, it's the same thing, but it's a different aspect. And so based on which one of those you get into magic for, eventually it goes into two roads. One, you want to create uh, like mystery for people or give them the sense of the impossible, like create this feeling. And the other is you want attention and power and glamour. Yeah. So I'm definitely in the first camp down the second road. Uh, I got into magic, I think, as as the the curiosity of puzzles and people. It was a combination of the two for me. Sure. And so uh, that, I think, you know, fast forward through high school, I would go do an undergraduate in electrical engineering with a biomedical emphasis. So took some psychology classes, and that was my, like, minor concentration and a lot of math and engineering and how do I build things, which, again, still fits that magic framework. And then I went further and I was like, oh, you know, I want to keep these options open, but signal processing will be biomedical and sort of image processing, which tied to magic. How do I, like, take a camera and, like, know certain things about a deck of cards or coins and, like, can you do that? And so that was interesting to me. And then at some point I realized, like, cool, technique's great, but I like telling stories. So... If I want to tell stories in the business world, that that goes to business. So, like, I went and did an MBA because I wanted to tell stories about products. I wanted to be a product manager or product marketing and be in that space of how do you figure out what people need, create the technical thing to give it to them, and then deliver, which is that sort of giving people that moment. And sort Mm -hmm. of, like, if you think about it that way, my progression in school is the same in magic, which is really fascinating. Yeah. How so? What do you mean? Like... First, you wanted to learn how things work. Mm-hmm. It's engineering. Then you want to learn how people work. And then you oh, want to, I see. You know, yeah, like, sure. Then you want to learn how to give them the thing. The thing. And, yeah. and so that's very, very parallel. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So like telling a good story based on data, not entirely from the MBA program, but from, uh, f- from work as well, right, career-wise. Yeah. And it's the same thing with magic. You have all these different techniques at your disposal to do the thing, but how do you tell a story on top of that that makes you know, makes it elevates a card trick. Yeah. It elevates a coin trick from this like, haha, I fooled you to like maybe I gave you something that you didn't have before. Yeah. 
And maybe that is just a moment of wonder. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's it doesn't have to be more than that. that yeah. Or maybe it's just like a really good laugh, or like I put a smile on your face for a moment, or whatever, right? Like yeah, You forgot about your mortgage for five seconds. Right. Shit, i got to pay that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Elliot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it that you... So, like, okay. People listening to this want not just to know about you. They do. Sure. But they also want to know, like, they want practical information. Yeah. You know? And so there's a couple of things that I want to ask you about that are related to that. Sure. Some of them is, like, social interaction. That goes back to, like, not be not taking no for an answer and also not being afraid to fail in front of someone. Yeah. Right. Which goes a lot into... Well, just talk about the garage. Talk about, like, what it's like oh, to, yeah. every week, be able to jam and session and get feedback constantly. <laughs> so this is like double-edged sword. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I think um, I will... I I believe it's Steve Martin. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you'll know this quote. You need a place to suck before you're good. Yeah. It's something along those lines, Is right? Is that Steve Martin? It, that's that's a that's I'm like sure a, tons of performers it's a very have said it generic before, but comedy aphorism. Yeah, yeah. And so, I think it's totally true. That's something I talk about a lot. Is like there's not a place to be that, which is what I love about. I'm sorry to no take no over, please but do. Like, I absolutely <laughs> I've been talking for a while. <laughs> I know I'm letting you talk because yeah. the last episode I was very heavy, uh, <laughs> but I like one of the things I love about this community up here so much is that you guys work on your shit for each other all the time. Yeah, totally true. In fact, the crew, uh, the crew, when I say the crew, I mean Michael Feldman, Theron Schaub, John Bodine, Brian Hart, uh, Eric Jacobson, Charles Chen, Ashwin Karana, and uh, David Clavins or Michael Feldman, one of them I missed. Um, Clavins, you said Feldman first. Yes. Uh, those guys yeah. are invaluable to me. Like, shit, I wouldn't be half the person I was, let alone magician. Yeah. And having that group around to push you to do more than you thought was possible to actually practice. Seymour Hoff, Sai, Sai, I can't forget Sai, he's awesome. Um, and that's just, like, the handful of people who I sit with on a regular basis and, like, say... Here's a thing I'm thinking about, or here's what I'm working on, and whatever. And I think that's super, super important. Um, and as my like family is important to me, as you know, uh, yeah. my sister, <laughs> my sister likes to say, behind every successful magician, there's a patient younger sister <laughs> who has picked her thousands of cards. I think she's put in ten thousand hours of picking cards. <laughs> yeah, she's an expert at picking cards. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, Probably also naming them. <laughs> Picker, peeker, puller. <laughs> As Gross, Steve, that's, that's a, your sister. That's a Steve Reynolds line. Is it really? Yeah. That's funny. He, he came up with it on his busking tour and he loves it. It's great. Picker, peeker, puller. Yeah. Are you a picker, a peeker, or a puller? What? That's um, funny. So I made the classic comedy joke. Yeah, I know you did. Sex. With your sister. Ugh. Anyway, so... <laughs> and now we're here. <laughs> uh, Thanks for making it, listeners. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who would listen to this. Ah, you did it! I know, I know. Um, I know exactly who would listen to this This guy. Me too. Have we started recording yet? 
I think so. <laughs> uh, Elliot asked that question because before we started, I thought it was really funny to be like, I'm going to be the first person to not ask on this podcast. So when do we start? And like, oh shit, we've been recording. <laughs> <laughs> Will you listen to the show? Yeah, I and do. I, I, I listen to the show um, from the first episode. I think I'm like a bunch behind right now, sure. but I'll catch up on the next uh, long road trip or plane ride I take. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, I've found so much value in listening to these and, and, you know, I don't, I hope that what I offer is something valuable in terms of, uh, the social aspect or, you know, at least that's where we're, we've been going mm-hmm. or whatever else you take away from this, you know, yeah. I, I would love to hear from people who find the advice useful or not. And sure. Any contrary opinions too? I'm of open course. to it. Yeah. Well, so anyway, the garage and those guys. Yeah. So you go to the garage and you get this place where you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? Like you can do blue material, you can do comedy, you can do music, you can, Hey, I'm working on this bit that I want to try. I'm going to try this joke with 30 people who have a very performer background. So like, I think one thing is to know your audience. And I think there you have to temper reactions or expand them as necessary. Like a magician's never going to respond to a double lift the way a layperson does. Yeah. And in the same way, people who've seen a lot of magic or seen a lot of performance art and come to these things on a weekly basis are not going to react like a normal audience. Yeah. But at the same time, they all bring unique perspectives. So Will's a stage guy, so he will always talk about choreography or the finger palm. He cares the pinky has to curl out like this to make the hand look open and natural, and it's totally true. Um, Where I think it's important is to know what you want to achieve, right, as an artist. And if you don't know what you want to achieve, uh, it's very hard to, to get the right advice. Yeah. You have right? to know what not to listen to. Yeah. So you have to have intent. Yeah. And so for me, if I go to the garage, I'll go with this piece and say, okay, I'm focused on technique tonight, or I'm focused on scripting tonight, or I'm focused on choreography, or whatever it is that I want to focus on, and I'll work on getting that. Yeah. And I, I've learned that lesson by far and away from David Clavins. Mm-hmm. He will come to the garage, he'll show up, he'll do new material every week, or same material, it doesn't matter. He'll do the material, and afterwards he goes, okay, I'm going to go around the room, I want one thing that sucked and one thing that was awesome from each person. Mm-hmm. So it's like very, uh, it's a good way of it's using structured. that audience. You yeah. have to structure your feedback um, in that environment. Yeah. And then, I think it's really important to have people who, uh, you need to understand what people's strengths are, right? So, um, Michael Feldman, for sleight of hand, I will go to any day, or Theron, for that matter. Uh, if I'm talking about technique and angles and bulletproofness, David Clavins is your man. If I'm talking about story and dirty jokes, I'll go to Psy any day, right? So, like, choreography, Will Chandler. So, like, these, these are different aspects of what you want to achieve. And I think that's really important. And cultivating a relationship with a diverse group of people. Totally, and that's the cool part of the garage. You've got like, 12... if you don't have the sample size, you need the heterogeneity. You know, that... Yeah, and I think you need both. But of course, at the garage, you have like fifteen-year-olds who show up, and they're in high school, and like, you know, one of the kids asks, "So, like, when you have someone pick a card, and they say, oh, 'I've seen this one before,' how do you respond?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You know what? I have the great Bill Malone line for that. Oh, this isn't that one. This is the other one." <laughs> right, which is yeah. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But and especially at that age, it'll work really well for him. But I think there are circumstances that we have been through, like 
we've both performed in high school and college, yeah. where your audience is very different, and the magic you have to do has to be bulletproof, and has to be, you know, there's no allowance to be sloppy technically there. Yeah. And you have to be, you know, witty and funnier than the other guy who wants the attention. Yeah. And so that's really important. And so I think having that diversity of background in the audience, you have some, like, 60-year-olds who are, you know, Kim Silverman, who's, like, the guy who created the ability for the Mac to talk. Yeah. You know, he's he's there some nights, and mm-hmm. he's, like, all about story and the Eugene Berger and Jeff McBride school of, like, yeah, your magic has to be meaningful. Magic is not about tricks. Yeah. Right? And I think that's really, really valid. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, intentionality, right? So when you... I think just, like, when you practice with intention is different than practicing for hours without intention. Yeah. Similarly performing you have to perform with intention to get better or to do this one thing for a show or whatever it is that your goal is know what that goal is and then throw everything at that goal yeah i think that's like the same thing with going to spain right my goal is to go meet tamaris if i don't go to spain i'm never going to do it yeah so like go try just go yeah yeah and the worst that happens is you fail and you try again because you found a new way of not trying it (laughs) right yeah edison like 999 light bulbs failed. I learned how to fail really good before I succeeded. Yeah. 2000. 2000. Thank you. Yeah. I failed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, now, one more way not to describe Edison. Yeah. That's some meta shit right there. I was just talking about this with somebody. I think it was with Alex in the last episode, but he's Makes sense. He's a math physics guy. Yeah. But he was, he, he mentioned, you know, like, I was talking about how people who are out there performing are billing themselves as master magicians, right? And they're not. But no one can say that they're not because, and when I say no one, I mean lay people don't know. Yeah, because they, they don't know. have the of scale. Course, they don't. Uh, but there's also no one to tell them. Yeah, I'm, like, so there's this interesting study that was done. I remember reading about it when I was doing a lot of interviews a while ago. If you ask someone how they, good they are at something, yeah. there's a bimodal distribution of people who say they're super good at something and super bad at something, right? One through three or seven through ten, mm-hmm. eight through ten. And those people tend to not actually be very good at the thing. They're both not yeah. good. Yes. And then you've got people who are like four to five or four to six, and those people are pretty accurate at describing themselves. But the people who describe themselves as sevens or eights tend to be exceptional. So that's a really interesting takeaway for real life as well as for like billing yourself, right? Like, do you want to overpromise and underdeliver? Like, yeah. isn't it way stronger to say, hey, I'm like, yeah, I'm a guy who does some magic and I'd, be lo- I'd love to be a part of your show or whatever. And then you come in there and you do like world quality magic. If Juan got booked for, like, you know, one of the private parties I go to, yeah. he's going to destroy. Because they're course. expecting, you know, me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I think that's that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Yes. And and in terms of educating them, I think it takes time. Like, people in Spain have been seeing Juan on TV for 30 years. Yeah. And, like, that's part of the culture because of Arturo Escaño and Juan and Pepe Carol And it's, it's a thing. Yeah. And so here, I think it's starting to be a thing, right? Like, I do. I think people like Derek and Helder are helping the name of magic a lot. The Illusionist, Steve Cohen, like 
there are so many things happening in the magic scene right now. Like, Jay Alexander is about to start a magic bar in San Francisco. Like, there are multiple shows. It is very popular right now. It is trending, for better or worse. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like martial arts in the 80s, right, with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That took a sky rise and, like, skyrocketed, rather. And it's very, like, similar we have a lot of movies about magic. David Copperfield and Blaine. How can I miss those names, right? Like, yeah. they're doing so much for the name of magic. And I think, you know, Ellen has more magicians on her show now. And America's Got Talent. And people are caring more about performance art. Yeah. I think in general. Yeah. And because of that, they're better educated on what's good and what's bad and what they like and what they don't like. And so people are caring more about performance art. Do you think that's because there's more and more technology and everything is more and more easily accessible and they're searching for a human connection or a human... So I think social media has a large part to do with it. Yeah. Uh, you know... I use the word trending. I mean, yeah, yeah. of course. I think... Um, sorry, I like three thoughts competing in my mind right now. So What are they? I don't uh, know. Yeah, so one of them is the idea of like American culture versus Indian culture. Yeah. Uh, the garage, if you will. Uh, the... Second one is the the idea of social media and ease of access. And the third one is about people's desire for uh, seeking out that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think all three of them are relevant. Okay. So the cultural thing is, it's funny, like in India, you have, you don't have garages, you have little driveways near your house. And then you have sort of walls between the buildings that are really short, like fences. So in India, a lot, like not even sometimes, but in India, you know your neighbors and you like see them in the kitchen in the morning and you talk across the fence sort of thing, right? Yeah. And, and that doesn't happen in the U.S. In the U.S., you go to work, you drive home, you drive into your garage, you go into your house, and then you maybe go out, but you take your car. Nobody knows their neighbors in the U.S. for, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, that desperate need for social outlet is a thing that's starting to plague the u.s more and more yeah and i think you see that on social media and how you've got teens committing suicide because oh look at everybody else's life is so much better than mine and i think social media has a large negative part to play in that Mm -hmm. but on the other hand social media allows you to connect with people you'd never be able to connect with otherwise so there is to your point a lot more availability of access right i've seen buskers in chicago now that i would never seen because i've never been yeah and like yeah. I don't have the time to go because I've got other things to do. And so, like, that's, you know, it's no longer something that only the super affluent with time can access. And so then the third part is are people seeking it out more? And I think the more performance art you see, the more interested you are in it and the more you want to seek it out. Yeah. And so I think those three things all play a huge part. Okay. They all play a huge part, and so... I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have a conclusion from it, right? I just Those are the three thoughts that come to mind. Make your own sort of conclusions, but I think... So, to rephrase, one part of it is people are isolated, yeah, and they have this desperate urge to be social, and, like, viewing performance art doesn't take a whole lot of effort, yeah. right? Co- consuming content doesn't, and in the world of Netflix and Hulu, and I can watch whatever I want when I want it, yeah, like... Having to sit down and dedicate to seeing a full performance is kind of nice. Yeah. And we, I think the attention span in the U.S., like people don't sit down and read a magazine end-to-end anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't read the New Yorker or the New York Times page per page. 
they read snippets online. Yeah. And I think that change in attention span means that performance art that is three to five minutes long is still too long sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's, that's an interesting challenge we face. Yeah. And, like, the environment isn't fixed. So I don't yeah. think you can say, like, this is how it is. Yeah. But this is the evolution of it. Yeah. But do you think the climate is shifting in the U.S. because people are hungry for it? Yeah, I do. I think people are, like, I think some people are starting to seek it as a means of escape. I think others are seeking it as a form of expression. And I think the ease of both being able to perform for a large audience, like, you have an audience now, which yeah. you may have had to get before. You may not have been able to do that because you weren't good enough. Yeah. So, like... While there's a lot more, in my opinion, bad art, there's more art. Yeah. And and that's for the viewer to decide, right? Good or bad. Sure. But there is objectively good and bad. Maybe. Is there? Yes. There are things that are objectively better. Yeah. So that's different. You just said good or bad versus better. Yeah. I think better, too. So, like... But if there is something that is better, it is... There is a thing that is objectively bad. Sure-ish. Like, let's take a child's finger painting, right? Yeah. By definition, we call that art. I don't know if I would. I don't call it art. It's an art class in school. You're making art. That's what how they refer to it. So, okay, like... But it I is don't... not art. It is a finger painting. So this is a very interesting question. Yeah. And I highly recommend you find Christian Cadrigal in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And ask him this question, because his opinion, uh-huh. and I think it holds a lot of weight, is the instant you say something isn't art, you make it art. Okay. Because it could be. Right? And now you're discussing it, and the fact that you're discussing it elevates it. Uh, could you pause for a moment? We need to take this phone call. Okay. Sure. So that was Bob White on the phone. <laughs> yeah, as a... Uh, uh, but he's he's that doing was Bob well. White on the phone. That was Bob White on the phone. Yeah, so he's doing well. He is. He's uh, that guy's memory is insane. He man. was telling us about seeing Al Goshman perform so, in the fifties. It was really funny. He he started off with "Sorry, I missed your call earlier. I was asleep. I fell asleep reading Thurston's biography." And I'm like, "Oh, that interesting of a guy, huh?" And he's like. Well, no, I saw all those guys, and he starts listing off people who are referenced in the book who he actually met. Yeah. And told us some crazy... Like, he met Jane Thurston when he was 16. Yeah. It's what? Amazing. She was 47 at the time, and that was 60 years ago, so... <laughs> and, and I'm then, 76, you know. And then I was 16, and I was, like, in casinos in Cuba, in Cuba three the, years the, before the, the revolution. was. Like, yeah. was insanity. Um, you know, that's... Like, this is a great... Uh, reminder of why it's really important to meet and talk to people instead of just learning everything through YouTube or videos. Yeah. like And also just learning magic from them, but really getting to know them. Because yeah. that way they feel comfortable sharing stories like that. Yeah, there's no, like, this is the trick. It was just like, that's so cool and rare. I mean, I, I grew up with this. I grew up with two grandparents at home. Wow, you didn't make the noise. That's because we're recording. I did shake, though. I, I usually don't shake. So, listeners, I when I shiver, I either do, like, a little weird shake, or I make a noise. It's an involuntary yelp, it's an much like a terrier. It's an involuntary yelp. In, yes. Yelp. 
that I do in, so I have to like expel energy when I shiver and either I yelp or I do a shake and I didn't shake the way I normally shake because I didn't want to kick the table and also I didn't yelp because obviously it would be very loud <laughs> I just thought it was entertaining yeah uh, what I was saying was culturally I grew up with my grandma and my grandpa at home and they were a huge part of my childhood and I think um, learning how to talk to people from a different generation really young is interesting because I have friends who would never sit down with their grandparents to just have a conversation and shit, they've got 60, 70, 80 years of experience. Yeah. Like, why aren't you taking advantage of that? So, And, it's, and, yeah. and that's interesting because people learn how to do that in the magic community a lot more than regular civilian <laughs> folk because... So many of our secret keepers are older people. Yeah, totally funny story. So you met my mom, and uh, maybe I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, uh, I'd just gotten in magic. I'd met Howard, who, again, what a kind gentleman in, in any way possible. Um, I met him at a couple conventions. We talked. I was loving learning about stuff from him and hearing about Vernon and the castle and all the things. And Yeah. Uh, you know, I lived at home at the time and I'm like, Hey, can like Howard come and stay? And my mom's like, yeah, fine. So she mentions this over like dinner or post dinner coffee with Theron one night. And, you know, she's like, Oh yeah. Like, so like Howard's going to come and stay. And Theron's like, Howard. And my mom's like, what is that not okay? Like what? And he's like, I, I don't know. Just, Howard's like 70. And my mom's like, what is that? Okay. Are you sure that he'll be okay with that <laughs> and not having his privacy and like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I, I told him I live at home with my parents and like, is you know, would you be okay with it? And my mom was the one who was the first to consciously raise this to me was, it's amazing. Like you guys are talking as if you're like equals, e complete equals and like friends on every level. Yeah. But the guy's like, he's, he's not your age, right? Yeah. He's yeah. double. He could be your grandfather. Yes. And it's just like, that's a, a, a mindset that I think as magicians, we're very fortunate to have. We, we have a community that treats people openly and equally in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, that raises an interesting thing that I did not expect to talk about. Women yeah. in magic? Yes. Yeah. So, I think I, I probably have divisive opinions on this tof topic. Um, I think... Am I going to be divided about your opinions? I don't know. We'll find out. Here we go. Here we can Buckle always in, cut this out. <laughs> No. Uh, <laughs> as little work as possible is needed. Fair point. I did tell you that you could keep most everything in. Okay. What was that whole bit about self-censorship? Self-censorship before they... He's All like, right. what should I not say? How much uh, whiskey whatever. did you feed me, Elliot? No. Um, what, are, what are your opinions? So I think that... As long as you're right, they aren't divisive. Yeah. I think there's a... It, it's fair. We are... There are a smaller number of women magicians in the U.S. predominantly, and I think that holds true across uh, nations, but the problem is less in other nations, that we have fewer and we don't nurture the talent there the same way. On the other hand... Well, so what do you mean nurture the talent? We'll get to so, on the other hand in a second. So, I think, like... Um, Girls in magic mm -hmm. don't get treated 
with the same sort of like, oh, follow the path and find what you're interested in, they get, uh, I was going to say boxed in, but not intentionally punny, uh, uh, pigeonholed into, oh, you must like stage magic, you must like XYZ, and that is is not fair. Yes. Um, and, and that is a problem I think we should solve. Yes. On the other hand, the fact is that the number of girls who get interested in magic at that young age are mm-hmm. less. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier why I got into magic and the three reasons I think. And I think, developmentally, women tend to mature faster. Yes. And at that age that boys are getting into magic and want power over people, women socially, and this is a conjecture purely on my part, it, it tend to want to be more included. They want to be part of the group. They don't want to stand out in any way, shape, or form. They want to be similar. They want to blend in. That's societal. Societal. Correct. Yeah. And because of that, I think their interest in magic could be the reverse of sort of the path I described of coming to, I want to share these moments or I want to, uh, you know, have attention. Yeah. And, and it's one of those two things up front and then down the line comes technique versus audience philosophy or, or whatever. And I think that's... An interesting contrast. Uh-huh. The other thing is, a lot of what I've heard, and, and I'm not up to date on every article about this in the society, but um, there's a lot of complaints about how women get treated in magic, which is like, oh, they only pay attention to me because of how I look. Uh, they don't care about my magic. And I think that's a double-edged sword. Because I think, in fact, if women who start in magic showed up and were judged purely for their skill, I haven't been witness to individuals who have sort of brought something of interest. So then, if it was a guy, let me put it this way, if it was a male who showed up with the same level of skill, I would be equally disinterested in watching their magic. For, yes. for me, for but, me. Yeah, yeah. But, and it's not going to stop me from talking to them and helping yeah, them. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can look at the landscape and say that's not the same. Correct. Yes. And and I've seen some women who are phenomenal technically, better than I am. Yeah. And I'm like, why don't you perform more? And they oh, I don't want to perform. I'm just working on the magic. Yeah. And that's cool, but it's a very different uh, engagement with the community. Yeah. So but I know guys like that. I totally. Mean, like Randy Garcia. Totally. Is, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Right? And he's like, amazing. He's, I have no interest in performing. Yeah. But and was, he's not good at it. Randy's funny. I actually asked him to do some magic for my friends, and he did. And he was phenomenal. Yeah. And I was like, dude, why don't you do this more? He's like, uh, I don't know. He's I not like, comfortable he, doing I just like yeah, to yeah. pick and choose who I perform for. And I'm like, all right, I can buy that. That's yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. And so I have no problem with uh, somebody choosing that. And in fact, like, it's really funny. I have a bunch of ideas for female magicians that males couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Like, built-in servants to clothing for a skirt. Or, like, stuff like that that's, I think, really cool for close-up yeah. magicians. But I also don't know very many women who are interested in close-up magic who are putting in the same, like, reciprocation of the the teacher saying, hey, I've been heard that I talked about earlier. Okay. I haven't seen that. Sure. And I, and if I that agree. existed, and, and I have, it should be totally treated the same. And I agree. And I have an idea as to why that is, and I mentioned this on the podcast oh, with Alex, know. and I got this from Alan Hagen's girlfriend, whose name is Katie, and yeah. she wrote a post about this. I don't know if you no, read it No, not at all. I'm interested. She wrote on his blog 
that the reason that is is because when women come into the community they are told you're that's great that's amazing that you can do a double turnover or that you can do a one-handed cut that's amazing that you have done this and you're a girl oh my god and so they get all of this praise for really nothing other than i don't want to scare this person away and also like so i think that's interesting well, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Good for but, them for being into magic. That's yeah, yeah, and I think the same is true when you're a kid, though, right? Like, when you're seven and you get that praise, that's a reasonable thing. Okay. When you're 25 and you get that praise, it's not. Yes, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, is that and Because most women don't get into magic young, or if they are, they're taken out of it for a bunch of different reasons, because societal expectations for women and men are completely different, and we're not yeah. arguing about that. No, we're not arguing. That's not what I mean. But I mean, like, that's not part of no, this conversation. I agree with you. Which, you know, we also agree should be taken care of on a national Absolutely. scale. Of course. All right. So let's two guys talk about misogyny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we should... I mean, we know women magicians who are great. Like, phenomenal, right? Like, yes. Um, Paul Wilson and I talked about this a little bit on his episode. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I did hear that. That was like... I remember that. And I think that's totally right. And I think... Yeah. Um, to your point, I think it's a very fair... Like, to Katie's points, not mine. I'm so, just yeah, to Katie's and now. yours. Your point yeah. about being two guys discussing this. Oh, right? to that point. Yeah, okay. to that point, sure. I think, like... We have to. It's really important. Yes. I actually think that any... Insert any group's rights type group yeah. has to have involvement from both the aggrieved party... Yes. And the aggressor party. There has to be. And there, there has have to, be, to be allies. Right. And they there can't be allies just when they're together. They have to discuss it in their own groups. I agree. And so to that yes, vein, and to, Yes. And I am 100% on the same page with you. Yeah. I just want to make clear to the listeners, we understand we're two men. 100%. Who do not have the same experiences as women. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's just no question. Yeah. And I think that it is really important to think about this conversation yeah. very consciously when you're meeting women who are in magic for yes. the first time. And yes. afterwards, right? I think it's totally okay to not be okay with sharing some material with some people. Yes. And but that's on a person-to-person And that's your individual opinion. Yes. Yeah. But it shouldn't be like, oh, I'm not going to talk about X level of material based on the person's gender. It should be about their skill level. Of course. And that's, I think... You know, I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also think, and this is, again, Katie's point that I'm yeah. extrapolating, and, and because I'm guilty of this, is it's hard to bust someone's chops if you're afraid of scaring them away. And busting somebody's chops, which can easily be said in the magic community to be busting someone's balls, is an important growth factor. You know, you have to be able to take criticism and you also need to feel comfortable with people uh, poking fun at you in a healthy way, not in a mean spirit of way. But it's also hard to find that balance. Completely agree. And I think um, part of that balance is finding groups of people you can trust. And I don't think this is just about women or men now. Of course. This goes back to our conversation about find a place to suck and get feedback, mm-hmm. but be intentioned about the feedback you receive. Yeah. So I think this goes for anybody who's learning anything. When you ask for feedback, don't expect praise. Yeah. Don't just ask for the sake of asking. Like, ask because you want to know. 
Yeah. And ask, you know... And if you feel like the praise that you're getting as a woman is not sincere or is not all of the feedback... Don't necessarily take it or take it with a grain of salt or but ask. Al- and also ask for more. Because yeah. because it is hard. We don't know what to do because we've never experienced it. So please tell us what you want from us. Yeah, I think... I, I would hesitate for prescribing actions for anybody, but as a student... Well, that's part of... Right, generalizing the, the, the parameters of yeah. saying, at whatever level you're at, yeah. when you ask for feedback, be intentioned about it. Yes. Right? And well, if that you goes get back feedback that doesn't... And like, yeah, yeah, and if your feedback doesn't jive to what you're expecting to get, yeah. like, you should have the hype. Every piece of feedback is essentially a, a test. Go to statistics and hypothesis testing. Yeah. I go into the experiment saying, I think this is going to have X effect. Yeah. And when the feedback you get says, yes, X, or maybe it's Y, but it's related to X. But if it says A and you're, you know, 24 letters off. Yeah. Whoa, that's not what I was expecting. All right, let me look at the context. Who is this person? What is their background? Where are they giving me the advice from? Yeah. And then what is their expectation? What are they trying to put on it? What are they trying to say you should do? Mm -hmm. And then maybe go back to it with questions about like, hey, if I said that I was really only interested in choreography, would you say it was still bad? Yeah. Right? Or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I just... Unfortunately, I have experienced this with two different partners. Uh, There is an older magician who I won't name now, but I will tell you later, because you know him. There's an older magician who, when a girl knows something about magic, either is a magician or can hold a conversation because she listens to my podcast, uh, that person will get up and leave. And that's not okay. There is... Sorry, let me clarify here. There is an older male figure and a younger female figure. Yes. And when the younger female figure is around, the older male leaves? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. When the older, when the younger female demonstrates some sort of competence, the older male will leave. And that's not okay. That is unfortunate, and I think we all need to be... We can't change him. So... But we need to prevent ourselves from becoming that kind of KG I'm actually going to disagree with you. Okay. I think it's okay that he leaves. What would not be okay for me Uh is if he was then vocal about it or trying to persuade others to leave. Because I don't agree with his actions. Yeah. But he's not being harmful about it necessarily, right? He's not... Oh, no, no, no. I I I completely disagree. Oh, interesting. See, I feel like... If you need, if you ideologically can't agree with something, yeah, and you excuse yourself from the situation, yes, that's the best you can expect for that, right? Of course, of course, but that doesn't mean it isn't harmful. Fair, fair point, but I think it is the least harmful. Of course, uh, of course, exit. Sure, sure, sure. I agree. He could be a huge fucking asshole about it. Yes, but he wouldn't. That's not the kind of person he is necessarily. Okay. But that's irrelevant. Mm. Uh, you're just saying because, not because I haven't named the person due. because I haven't named the person that is irrelevant okay what I'm saying is like based on gender alone you got up and left that's not okay it's good that you did that instead of being an asshole but right. that doesn't make it right 
I completely agree. Okay, so there we go. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I uh, didn't mean to say it wasn't harmful. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to sort of rationalize, like, what else could that person no, do? No, you're right. And, like, you're right. I, there's and not. That, that is the best case scenario. Yeah. And so I think... Well, rather just not talking and staying and being part of it could be a little better, but that's irrelevant. Yeah, and, and for those of us who are in that yeah. situation, I think it's sort of important, like, have that conversation with whoever this person is who's leaving and say, like, hey, why are you leaving? Like, yeah. What are you uncomfortable about in this situation Yeah, that that is giving that's a, you so much pause to leave? That's a conversation I don't think should be had in front of the reason that he's leaving. Correct. But that conversation should be had with this guy. And I think that you are in a position to have this conversation with this person, which is why I'm telling you about it now. Oh, Lord. <laughs> what did I so, get myself listeners, into? we're going to hold Rahul accountable. We'll do a part two and see what the outcome of this is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, do it now. Call him right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. That's not, this is not Howard Stern. Uh, <laughs> but I... But I, <laughs> but I do think it's important that we do... It's... So, can you pause it for a second? No. Say it. You're gonna edit this out. All right, I'll pause. When it you, for a <laughs> I'll pause it for a second. Uh, sorry, listeners. There's so many pauses in this episode, but you know that makes it for fun. <laughs> uh, that did was you, great. Did rubble. you hear about the guy giving out marijuana at the beach to all the seagulls? No. He left no stern on. Stoned or whatever oh, no. it is, yeah. Stern unstoned. Turn unstoned. He left no turn unstoned. You're welcome. I'm glad we got there. I'm glad yeah. we got to the punchline after meandering... Copious that, amounts of alcohol. After meandering through that quagmire of a joke. That's why we were laughing so hard, though, because I, like, I knew there was the joke, but I couldn't remember the punchline, and now they're a part of it. Now you know, listeners... What did you miss? Anyway, okay, let's get back to it, because I'm sure they're bored now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's punch it up. Let's punch it up. So, okay, this is the thing that we, we were talking about earlier, and you talked about social media and everyone having the opportunity to, to get to know people, and also it being a double-edged sword because they feel more isolated than ever. Mm-hmm. I, I probably have talked about this on the podcast before. But I haven't talked about it personally in a long time, which is something that I experienced. And I coined this term, and it is the chaos of opportunity in relation to millennials and Generation Z. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, yeah. It's like, what do you want to do? I don't know. There's literally every possibility in the entire universe that I could do. It's the Netflix dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. I spend more time adding things to my list... I still say Q, and I still say Qui, because I know that's not how you pronounce Q, but I say I spend more time adding things to my Qui than I do watching things on Netflix. It's like people that go to a, a bookstore and buy books to put on the shelf that they're going to read one day. It's a, it's it's time immemorial, this problem, but... Is, did I use that correctly? It doesn't matter. You know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, that's... It, you know. But now, it's so in your face all the time. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. So, so what about it? Well, you're in the tech world, or yeah. you you did work for Facebook. Is that okay? That we yeah yeah about I worked that? for yeah. Facebook for a, almost a year and a half. Yeah, and it was great. You had a wonderful time, except you wanted to leave because sometimes it was great. I'm assuming. Well, I 
finished my MBA and it was the right time to move to a different role in my career and the potential for growth into that role wasn't available at Facebook. So I sort of okay. wanted to do some other things. And also yeah. like, um, you know, for those of you looking for jobs, like you have to weigh risk versus sort of reward. And for me, long term yeah. in my career, like if I want to make millions of dollars working at a Facebook now doesn't make sense. You got to go work for the next Facebook. Yeah. And so that yeah. was that was a lot of the motivation. So, so this is this is interesting about again this group up here, uh, which is all of you have real fucking jobs. Yeah. My job is a joke. Like it's not a joke. Dan, you can pay him less. <laughs> <laughs> Not right now. Uh, I'm trying to move. Uh, this, my job is not a joke. That's not what I mean. But I mean, like, you consult and you're doing really huge things. Yeah. Theron has a huge job. Michael is a lawyer at a very high-end, exclusive, firm, yeah. prestigious firm. You guys are fucking legit. I mean, David worked at Google for David years. worked at Google, yeah. and now he's working at this new startup. Kim for, Silverman works at Apple. Kim like, Silverman's at I mean, you guys are really... And it helps that you're up in Silicon Valley. Yeah. It does. But regardless, you guys are doing real hard, crazy jobs. There are TV shows about your jobs, right? Yeah. And you're still finding the time to be energized about magic, and most of you are doing gigs yeah, constantly. All of us, I think. So that's that's what I'm saying. Is like, how how how? <laughs> I don't uh, understand. The same question got asked to me when people said like, "Oh, you're doing your MBA and working full time. Like how?" And I think the answer is really simple. Yeah. And it goes back to the solution, maybe, to the millennial problem. Yeah. Which is. Cool. You have this long list of things you want to do. Yeah. Start at number one. Right. It's the Navy SEAL thing. How do you how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Okay. Right. Sure. So like, you make the commitment. Yeah. And then you do, but you don't do at the scale of like I'm going to do a show in a year. Yeah. You do at the scale of I want to learn a trick by next month. Yeah. Or I want to practice this slight by next week. Yeah. Figure out your day to day. And then you sacrifice everything you have to to meet those goals. Mm -hmm. For me, I sacrificed sleep. For the last three years, I slept an average of four and a half to five hours a night. Yeah. I drank way too much caffeine. I was really unhealthy, but like, that's how I did it. Yeah. And so I think when you make a commitment, it is important that you make the commitment to yourself. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you choose to do something and like, if you believe you get value out of performing and working, you do it because you want that value. Yeah. And and so the how is, for me, like, it's like asking, how do you walk? Well, I pick a direction and I go. I don't think about it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because I'm not someone who wants to perform, so it's hard for me to answer a question yeah. like that. Um, but... I'm also a, the kind of person who will sit in a room alone for 96 hours and not have a problem with it. You yeah, know? without even Netflix or a mirror or yeah. anything. You just sit there. That's not hyperbole. I did that this week. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm saying that for the listeners. Oh, like, okay. I, I worked when it was time to work, and then I didn't work when it wasn't time to work, but I didn't leave my apartment for four days. You know, I went to the grocery store to get a carton of eggs. 
That was it. (laughs) Yeah. I make good grits. You do. You make great grits. So, what I'm... Elliot, as a PDF addendum to this podcast, you should include your grits recipe. I'll tell it to him right now. Here's what you do. You go to the supermarket. You buy... uh, Instant grits. Instant grits. Quaker instant grits. Don't buy stuff you got to put in a pot because it's not as good. It just isn't. This is coming from a good old Southern boy. This is how you do it. You buy Kraft American Singles. Or Pepper Jack was my modification. You can do any cheese. You can do any cheese, but this is a good starting point because it's super easy. And, you know. yeah. I've been using Colby Jack recently just to mix it up. Here's what you do. You go to the store. You get Kraft American Singles and you get Quaker Instant Grits. You go home. Eggs. Yes, also eggs if you have it. You know, uh, ground turkey is also good. All right, you're not a veget—I mean, you're a vegetarian, so you know. But you go home, you cook and season the ground turkey the way you want it. You put it in the fridge. You save it for later. Uh, what you do is you put the grits in a bowl, and you put you. There's a little line at the top of the grits packet. You fill the grits packet because it's wax coated. It'll hold the water. You fill the grits packet up with water up to that line. You pour that in. You throw it in the microwave for a minute. While it's in the microwave, hopefully you've been heating your pan. You throw two eggs on the uh, the pan. You let them fry, uh, you know, to your liking. You take the grits out of the microwave after they're done. And what you do is you add a slice of American cheese from Kraft. But what you do is you fold it up into quarters and you put it uh, in Underneath the different... the grits. In the different quadrants and then you pack it down into the grits so that it melts from the heat of the grits. Uh, you now stir it up, you pepper everything, you stir it again. Maybe sprinkle some Mexican cheese on top. Yeah, do whatever you want to do uh, to spice it up, but just the beginner recipe. And then you throw the eggs onto it. You're going to want to flip the eggs if you don't want them runny, but, you know, that's up to you. But then you throw the eggs on top, you cut up the eggs with your spoon, and you stir everything. If you have the ground turkey, throw in a little bit of ground turkey. Put it back in the microwave for 15 to 30 seconds, and you've got yourself the best breakfast. It's that, pretty damn good. It's comfort food like you can't imagine. So there you go. This is the Alton Brown cast. And <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that episode yet. I'm really excited. Yeah, too. by the way, Derek Delgadio was just on Alton Brown's podcast, and it was wonderful, and I highly recommend everyone go and listen to it. Uh, so anyway, back to Rahul. <laughs> that was a nice uh, tangent. Tangent. Well, so Rahul came down and uh, spent the weekend with me for Dan Dan and Dave's Dave's open house for their birthday. Yeah, we came down. We had a good time. And I made you and your girlfriend grits. And it's my girlfriend's comfort food. It's her new favorite thing. And my girlfriend was hungry and I was like, I'm... uh." Yeah. So I made it for (laughs) her. She enjoyed it. And she didn't even know what it was because they're grits. And people out here don't know what that is. We knew what grits were, but we didn't know with all the cheese and your grandmother's <laughs> recipe and, you know. Yeah. Anyway. It was a great time. It was a great time. It was wonderful. And that, you know, it, it helps. And I don't necessarily want to bring money into it, but you are privileged in so far as you can go and do whatever you want, time permitting. And that is really beneficial. And anybody can do that. You know, that's the thing. I think exactly. anybody can do that. Anybody I think, can do that. So... The magic world is super fascinating and filled with very colorful characters. Yes. All of us know some of them. Some darker than others. Yeah. That's me. That was a brown joke. That was a brown joke. (laughs) And 
I feel conflicted about it. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was the one who made the joke. Okay. Um, right. And so, I think it's super interesting to... Uh, well, we'll pause for another moment. Sorry, guys. No, Just kidding, so, we didn't pause. Yeah, this whole Casa Srinivasan thing is not really a joke. There are four people staying here this weekend, but there were actually, like, two more who live here, and there's another two who are visiting, so... People are in and out of the garage to grab jackets and whatnot. Yeah. So anyway... The point was, uh, we were talking about anybody can go out and do the thing. That's yeah, what's interesting about the colorful Sorry, characters. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. It's fine. Yeah, anybody can do it. I think the magic world is really interesting, filled with characters. That's where we were. Yeah. Brown joke. Um, in the world of magic, for, I think, better, if you had to measure the the quality of the people in this world we are super fortunate compared to any other interest ever i have yet to meet in a town like a group of magicians where i couldn't get along with at least one of them yeah and not just get along but be like oh you don't have a place come crash on my couch let me make you breakfast here's some food like yeah such hospitable warm generous kind people and i think get something from them or whatever it is i'm gonna go and like work at this thing and like maybe a year from now i'll check back in and say hey i know you didn't have time last year but i've been working on this thing for a year and i'd really like to get your feedback still yeah right persistence is important yes in a and polite and it also determined way that you're serious yeah, yeah absolutely yeah i think um for but you also have to give it time too 100%. when someone says no you can't bother them yeah, you I think that's right. To, you have to allow for the time to lapse. Yeah. Because they may be in a different place, you may be in a different place. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, like, um, two things that everybody listening to this podcast should do that can you can learn from it, and I do it again and again, are Randy Pausch's lectures. His last lecture and his lecture on time management. He was a professor at CMU, Carnegie Mellon, mm-hmm. uh, who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Yeah. And at the time, they had a lecture series called The Last Lecture. What would you teach about if it's your last lecture? Yeah. And his last lecture is about achieving your childhood dreams. Mm Mm-hmm. And then his time management lecture, which is from earlier before he was diagnosed, is about how to manage your time and how most people don't prioritize what they should in, in the right way. And so I think they're very good. I think together, maybe two hours of your time yeah. And I'm, you know, if, if they're not worth it, I'll be surprised. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, childhood dreams, I, I have never thought about this until you just mentioned that. Because I was, you said that and I was like, what was my childhood dream? Because I don't know. There wasn't like, a, I want to be an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. But what it was, and I have the pictures to prove it, is I wanted to be a game show host. And I specifically wanted to be a game show host where there was a wheel that you spun. Well, let's spin a wheel, Elliot. My other childhood, my my biggest hero, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, I probably have, my biggest hero when I was a child, a child, like six and seven years old, was David Letterman. (laughs) (laughs) I can believe it. That's so funny. I wore a suit every day. I have my first memory, my first memory, okay, my fourth birthday party. My dad had built me a stage 
and it was on wheels, so I could like move it around and take it around places. Right. It was a stage. It had a curtain, and I had you know the the like the jukebox recorder yeah. thing from Toy Story. I had with that the mic with the microphone, and I would call the microphone my gentleman because ladies and gentlemen, right? I called the microphone my gentleman, and I would wear a suit every goddamn day, <laughs> and I would be David Letterman in my room alone on my stage with the microphone, That's doing a monologue amazing. as a child. From four to ten, I was wearing a suit every day. I was doing a monologue. I was. That's hilarious and amazing, and and explains so much of who you are. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a late night host. No, but it's but the I same do wear thing, a suit right? all the time. I have a microphone in front of me right now. It's true. You know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's very non-deceptively hidden with a bag, given the backlighting, but. Uh, it's hilarious yeah but i like that you know and i still spend my time watching episodes of the late show with letterman i still watch carson frequently you know i grew up after he was done yeah you know his last show was the year that i was born so i never got to see him on tv but the stories that I've heard, and he was a you know the biggest influence on letterman and all these different things i've become obsessed with carson and i watch I watch his shows, you know, once a week, twice a yeah. week. I'm fascinated by the guy. And he's That's... a magician. You know. <laughs> it's crazy. It is. It's fucking crazy how it all works together. You just spun a wheel. I did. In midair. <laughs> I, yeah, I did. Uh, look at that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's just it's just weird. So the childhood dreams things that you just said, I love it. Yeah, I, I think it's that. it's so important. And I think... Um, forget childhood dreams, right? Like, yeah. career-wise, when you get out of college, I think this is one of those exercises that I never thought to do, but learned about in the last five years, and I think it's really great, is write a resume for yourself for 15 years from now. What does that resume look like? Yeah. What have you achieved? What have you accomplished? Go look for people who are doing the thing you want to do 15 years from now. Look at their resumes. Copy them. Yeah. Then work backwards. What do you have to do to get there? Yeah. And I think that's a really great planning tool. That's like, that's an, an amazing goal setting tool. And I think I've done yeah. the same for magic. I have a notebook I'll show you later. I've started where I draw sketches yeah. and they're, I'm not a, not an artist by any means. Sure. Give me a ruler. I'll draw a curved line. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's like stick figures and blocking on stage for what I want as visuals for my show. Yeah. I don't have tricks, I don't have powder, I don't have scripts. Yeah. But I know what I want it to look like mm-hmm. because I'm a very visual creative person. Yeah. And then I'll find a way. Yeah. So like that's what I've been doing right now and and that's sort of the same thing from my magic show that I want to create, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about the garage on Friday night cuz I have a trick. Oh, dude, you have I'm to not going to do it. You I, are going to no, do no, it. No, 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 no. I don't have I have an idea. But I Great, just want to talk do it. to everybody. I'm not going to do it. Okay. See, this is what... Do you hear this? This is what I'm talking about it's when you won't good. take a no for an answer. Well, why not do it? Well, because I don't have... I just... Oh, god damn it. Because you don't have what? The people are hearing this. I know. I'm what just, do you not have? I this don't, is a great example. Like, it's not... Okay, you're right. No, I'm not taking ex- no, no, no for an answer. I'm just digging into it a little I know, bit, yeah, okay? Yeah. Let's explore it because yeah. this is really vulnerable and personal for me and I am so uncomfortable talking about it. Yeah, I guess I'm going to be uncomfortable in a minute. 
<laughs> so I I have this idea. So I have an idea for a show, and I don't have oh. any of the tricks. Okay. The one trick I have is the finale. Okay. It's the closer. It's the last trick, okay. and I know the reaction that I want. Okay. And the trick, the method, is basically Hollingworth's voodoo card in the preface of uh, Drawing Room Deceptions. Okay. Fucking amazing trick, by the way. Chris Korn has one of the greatest touches on that trick I've ever seen. So, I talked to Chad Long about this when he was in San Diego a couple months ago. Um, Hi, Chad. Hi, Chad. Uh, The (laughs) trick is... So, Hollingworth's trick is is a voodoo card thing. You do something to a pseudo-duplicate, and that happens to the selection. You know, over time. That's what happens, right? Um... So that's the the trick structure. Sure. The presentation structure is that the whole show is me being vulnerable and telling stories about myself. Similar to Derek, but I've had this idea for a long time before I had Derek's show. I'm not saying that I'm as good or better. You know, that's not that's not but it's kind of like in and of itself. No, no, it's, it's giving very, it in context, right? It's, it's that sort of personal. I level. got it from comedy. Right. Is Bill Hicks said less jokes, more me. This show is about... Louis C.K. is a great example of exactly. that. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. what he's doing is he's being on stage and he's saying, he's speaking to these universal truths, so I want my show to speak to universal truths through my own experiences. That's fantastic. And the end of the show is this trick where I have someone come up from the audience and I invite them to be as vulnerable as I have been. Fuck. Right? Okay. Well, so I invite the audience and somebody raises their hand and I bring that person. So I'm not like bringing somebody up and they say no and I send them back. But, you know, so they come up. They have agreed to be as vulnerable as I have been. And then I proceed to do this trick. And every time we fuck up the pseudo-dupe, that is, you know, what is a negative thing that you tell yourself? So the the dupe stands for... Oh, that's so cool. So, like, what is your negative self-talk? And, like... So what's ha- and and then what do you hate about that, yourself and how or- does that affect your life, you know? And it's this kind of, you know, I have this progression of being a fat, angry kid and growing into someone who's self confident. So it's blah 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 blah, right? This obnoxious person you hear on the podcast all the time. Uh, just that's a joke. But uh, oh, I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> no, 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 no. But what I mean is, that, so I'm, I'm. That's that. Jesus, I please. Email me suggestions. <laughs> no, no, this but, is fantastic, so Elliot. I'm got, so excited to see so this. So I have... Uh, so, yeah. The, I've given my story, and so people kind of know what I'm asking. Like, what's a negative thing you tell yourself, right? And then that damages people's perspective of you because it influences your life and how you live, and it also damages your self-perception. That's how that matches, Yeah, right? this is like... And I, so then... So you fucked up the card, and you're at the end of Hollingworth's trick. And now... The end is, but none of that's true. It's just a story you've told yourself. People really don't view you this way, and I have now, in their hands, restored their card. And I have a method in my head for doing this. I don't know if it would work, but I have a hunch that it could work. That's so good. And then that's the end of the show. And I don't want applause. I want silence. So... That's what I want. Wow. That's awesome. Like, I really like it. Um, 
my mind is racing with like wanting to proceed digging deeper, but I don't think that's relevant for this conversation. Yeah. And so the question I'll ask you is, yeah. So what is your intention of the part that you want to try at the garage that you couldn't try elsewhere? I would imagine it's the card technique part. It's not. Okay. So it's, it's not. so it's not that you yeah. want to tr- so then don't do the trick. Yeah. Right? I'm not. <laughs> So my point is, it's, tell not, me, it's, tell not, me. it's not about don't do the trick, but here... I've never been to the garage, so I want you to tell me right, what to so do. Right, so I think you could go to the garage and say, hey guys, so like, this is the finale of a show. Yeah. And I, I'm working on the show. Yeah. But during the show, I'm going to share these stories. So you don't need to do any of the tricks in the show. Yeah. But just li- literally put a chair down on stage and talk to them for ten minutes so they feel like they've heard the stories. Yeah. And then you say, and now we get to the finale and this is where I'd like your help. Yeah. And then bring one of them on stage and do the ending bit. Yeah. Just tearing up a card. Yeah. Like, change the trick, right? Yeah. So tear up the card, put it in a change bag, and have yeah. it be restored, right? Yeah. The easiest fucking method that you can think of. Yeah. That is relevant to the story. Yeah. And and work on the reaction. Yeah. Work on that asking... That impromptu dialogue is the part that I guess now you want to work on. Is that sort I of... I don't know what part I want to work on. So Honestly. this is where I'm asking you to set yeah. an intention, right? Like, set an if you want to try it at the garage, yeah. let's... I agree, like, it's not at a place where you could run it at the garage. Yeah. You know what sucks is this episode is going to go out before we go to the garage. So I won't be able to say in the intro how it went. Sure we can. We'll record on Saturday morning before you leave and we'll... No, it goes out on Thursday. It'll go out on Thursday. This one go... goes out on Thursday? Yeah. Fuck. No, take Theron's and put it out on Thursday. Theron may not be able to... Put do out it. one of the next three days on Thursday. Okay. That way we can do the follow-up, because I really want to, like, tell people how this goes, and worst case, we'll do a follow-up, just 15-minute thing. Okay. Alright. Because, like, right? Like, this is super fascinating to me. Of like, Do you like that idea, though? Do you like the... the... I, I love it. Yeah. And I... So, I'll tell you... Because very... I've told maybe three people about I'll be this. very honest with and you. I don't you. know that everybody at the garage would get it. Sure. And that's, that's the fine. part that's interesting to me. Yeah. How do people respond? Yeah. So for me, my intention would be mm-hmm. figure out how people respond. Yeah. Which but I means... feel like I don't have to tell... Because here's the thing. I would rather tell people about it like I just told you about it than do it and not do it the way I want to do it because then that's going to shadow their perception of what I'm trying to do. It doesn't matter what their perception of what you're trying to do is. I disagree if I'm looking for the feedback. Agreed. But it depends on what feedback you're looking for. Okay. If you're looking for their verbal feedback, yeah, yes, yeah, there's a problem. Yeah, if you're looking, you can't go up and do a change bag with this trick, and you get the feed, the reaction that you're looking for with what I'm doing. You can't. It's not the same because of the choreography, because of the timing, because of the effect of everything happening gradually. It just isn't. It's not the same thing. I. I'm torn, right? Because I know exactly what you're saying and I agree with a lot of it. Yeah. But I do think you can break it apart into pieces and say, like, look, the reaction I want is going to come from some component of the magic Here's what I would rather do. Here's what I'm comfortable doing. Here's what I'm comfortable doing at the garage. Right. Going up and just miming all of it. Just not even having a deck of cards, but having somebody come up. Telling a couple stories, then having somebody come up and pretending to do the trick as I envision it. I think that's fair. Yeah. You should have, like, I think mime all the tearing. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll and mine. Just I'll put, mine everything. No, but with a real card, tear okay. the card. Yeah. And then just literally pause, put the card in your pocket, pull out a restored one, and put it in their hands. Yeah. And just say that moment doesn't exist in the trick. Yeah. And people will get it, and it'll be. Yeah. Right, like. That mimics it close enough. Yeah. That you could do it when yeah. you said you didn't want to do it. I heard I don't even want to go up on stage and like walk through it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm saying you that. have to do it yeah. and, like, find the closest alternative to go test some part of it. Yeah. Whether it's reaction, whether it's verbal, whether it's emotional, whether it's the physical reaction. Yeah. To people laugh when you do one of the bits. Like, I don't know what you're looking for. Yeah. And, and look for that feedback. Yeah. It's so... It, the idea for this trick is not new, but the idea for, like, the show and how I want to do it, I have no idea yet. Right? Yeah, it's great. But I think it's good that we're talking about this because I need to practice what I preach on this show, which is find a place to be bad. And I've got the perfect <laughs> opportunity to do it, and I'm yeah. hesitant to do it because I'm a goddamn yellow spine, yellow belly worm <laughs> of a creature. And and I don't take no for an answer. Yeah. <laughs> what a great way to cap it off. We've let's see how long we've done. We've done two ten. That's pretty good. We have a shit ton more questions to go, don't we? Uh, <laughs> like, I also had that advice stuff that uh, like we talked about. We also have the social interaction stuff. It's seven o'clock. I mean, I'm fine. If you want to, I'm good. Do you want to order food and take a break when food shows up? Or no, I'm good. To, I'm I'm good. All right, we'll I keep just going. Wanted then. to make sure. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. we'll keep going. Right. Okay, no so um, you mentioned the social. Science, no, the science of social circles. Yeah, so um, I think this is maybe from two breaks ago. Yeah, whenever. Um, they don't know we just took a break, though. Start it again so that you can cut into it, then. I don't care. They can see behind the curtain. Oh, right. mind. Guys, ignore the man behind the curtain. So the idea about it's social circles. It's just me, circles. but I'm naked. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah ignore anyway, for real. <laughs> I think it's the first time I've implied, not even implied, but I think it's the first time I've made people. Never mind. Go ahead. Picture you naked. Rahul, why would you do such a thing? <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> this is a clusterfuck of an episode. It's, this, it's mainly my fault. It's our fault. <laughs> You did choose to choose me. I did. You know what's fun is like, this is, we're just a couple of guys talking, but we're guys. So before we get into SCRM. Sure. You and I have known each other for, well, this is the, like the third time today we've had this conversation. Yeah. You and I have known each other for five years or three weeks, depending on how Give you or take. It. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. So like three That's weeks. another thing. I mean, that goes back to what you mentioned about being able to go to a new place and finding a magician and crashing on the couch. Yeah. You know, it's like go we city over or deep, whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, we have a deep relationship, even though we rarely see each other. Yeah, and we're very comfortable discussing things that I think a lot of close friends would never be comfortable discussing. And I think that's really awesome. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, I just think that that's interesting, you know, that we've, we're good friends... Yeah, and I think that comes from, friendships, I think, come from good shared background, right? Yeah. And I think, in Magic, most of us have spent time reading and romanticizing these stories and ideas and characters, and that helps bring us closer together. Yeah. In the same way that, like, TV fans who really like Sherlock, like, say, Cumberbitches or whatever the phrase is, Cumber People, <laughs> they're, yeah. 
the, they're all like Benedict Cumberbatch is my god, and they're very yeah. close knit because of that. I think like, yeah, any it's a very similar thing. Any very, fandom, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and our fandom is more diverse in a lot of ways because like even age wise, certainly age wise, but also in terms of interest, people who who love Vernon and close up magic still appreciate stage magic when it's good. similar. No, no, when it's similar, I don't even know about good. Yeah. Right? Like, some people love seeing close-up tricks adapted to stage. And, sure. And, and so that, like, lends avenues to seeing different perspectives. Yeah. I do think it's a very interesting, you know, five years, three weeks, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're close and that's, friends. And that's, but... and that's another thing that's interesting between generations, also between, you know... Is it five years or is it three months? It doesn't really matter because of the quality of it. Absolutely. You know? I think it's above and beyond everything. It's quality you know. over quantity. Huh. Which lends right into my social circles concept here. Here we go. So, you know, I'm a professional. Yeah. Slipping <laughs> your words like that, you're a professional. In the break that didn't happen, we did a shot. Uh, so... Just what? You know I'm a professional. Yeah. Second take. There you go. <laughs> I, just, I just cut out that other part. I'm not going to cut out. Go ahead. So the <laughs> social customer... Social circles. So yeah. um, there's a lot of sociology research that says like the number maximum number of people who you can keep in your consciousness and be aware of is is very small. It's like... I think it's 150, don't quote me on the number, but it's small, in the hundreds, right? Sure. And people with Facebook friends today have thousands of friends, and it's like, the so the average person at Facebook had something like 170 friends when I first joined, it was like published number from 2013 or 14, and I don't know what it is now, but I know it's higher because they published the other article about the six degrees of Kevin Bacon and how it's now five degrees or whatever. Wow, Okay. Just and, through social media. Right, because okay. everybody's connected or whatever. Yeah. And so I think there's this interesting uh, philosophy that you can only keep in touch with so many people and social media changes that. And I think there's some truth to it, but I think there are like life pro tips or hacks, if you will, to keep in touch with more people. And one thing is the more open you are and the more that your conversation is the same with everyone... Yeah. the easier it is to keep larger groups of people informed. Yeah. So, like, if, I am, if I'm struggling with a work-career decision, yeah. I generally will have that conversation with my parents, my sister, my friends, and I'm not very closed about it. That's just part of my personality. Yeah. And because of that, a lot of people know what's going on in my life. I don't have to hide things. I don't have to change the story. Therefore, I'm able to keep the story consistent because it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. And then it's easy to keep in touch with more people. Yeah. Um, the second part of it is like, how do you how do you keep in touch with these people, right? Yeah. And I think this goes back to your point of like, this is a skill that I definitely have I've cultivated. And, yeah, and I've cultivated it, and it came from my mom more far and above beyond anybody else. And it is, you know, when I left to college, they basically said, "Look, you're now going to college. Like, you need to cultivate your own relationships with family, friends, and whatever." And from then on, my calendar every week on the weekend, I have family friends that I call. And during the week, on my way to work, on my way back from work, I spend my time on my phone, and I call two or three people. I have a 10-minute conversation, what's going on in your life, and it's a rotating schedule. So this is the idea of social CRM. So customer, customer management, yeah. instead of using it for a customer database, download some free software, put in your entire social network. Put in all your friends, all your contacts, whatever. 
and once a year ping those people or once every six months or depending on the level of friendship you have or yeah. you know set an intention if there's something you want that's okay it's not like it can be perceived as selfish i think it's good to go after the things you want so like hey if i really want to learn more about dove work and i know that johnny thompson is like the guy who i want to get to to learn from yeah who do i have to get to to learn from from there and it's, you know, I think it can be misconstrued as manipulative, but I think of it as setting targets for your day-to-day life of, like... But you're also genuine about it. That's the thing is, like, yeah. you're not just using these people as... Totally. If I want to learn everything about Dove Magic at that level, I need to understand everything about Dove Magic at another level. So who's somebody whose work I really admire? Let me go reach out to them and buy their information and learn everything they have published and ask them the questions I have and then... Yeah. When you ask them something and they go, oh, you know, my friend has a great tip on this. Hey, could you introduce me? Yeah. Well, that also goes back to just, like, being prepared generally. Yeah. And you have to be genuine about your your approach. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah, social CRM I think is really important. And I think, you know, making sure you call your close friends. And people text all the time now. And uh, I think the way that film deadens performance art text deadens communication and i think you know in person's the best video second best phones the third best text is the worst uh, objectively because okay. so much of communication happens non-verbally sure um what do you think about i lost my train of thought runaway train we got a jumper uh we've got a hero it's <laughs> our savior where are the delights uh so ricky from the future you haven't called us back ricky from the past did not call back ricky that's probably what happened he was like i can't call myself in the future that's not how that works and he just didn't call me <laughs> so last night rahul so you all know ricky smith that's episode eight of the podcast <laughs> He's a truly legendary human being, and last night we had a wonderful evening of drinking and merriment, and we called Ricky on Rahul's phone, and I t- I left a voice, and this is at like, what, like three in the morning, New York time? About. I left a voicemail on Ricky's phone as Ricky from the future, <laughs> and we were going to, we all crashed, but I wanted to call him in two hours later and be like, Hello, this is Ricky, still from the future, like two hours from now. Please send instructions. No, 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 I was going to say, it's actually not so bad, never mind. (laughs) 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 But we ended up not being able to do that, so. Anyway, now it's out there. And now you know. Um, But what I was, I think what I was going to say, or not, now I'm saying it, is, what do you think about being prepared that goes back to being well read but like when i was getting started and i didn't have anybody i wanted to be as good as i could before i really met anybody like i remember before the first magic convention that i went to which was magic con i knew uh i knew leonard green was gonna be there okay and so i practiced my top shot like crazy for hours and hours and hours every day you know i was doing the top shot and i wanted to be able to do it you know yeah. Because I wanted to be taken seriously. Yeah. And that's Great. important. 
you can't go in and it goes back to ego and entitlement. You can't feel entitled to learn. You can't feel entitled. You have to shut your mouth and you have to listen. You have to ask pertinent questions. It's just like a recap of everything. We yeah, it goes back to the conversation about women in magic and beginners in magic and students in magic. When you come to the table, have no ego and demonstrate that you have passion. Yeah. And I have a fairly large ego, which is why I'm so hesitant about doing things at the garage on Friday. <laughs> Whatever. It's just like people aren't going to buy from, you know, Dan and Dave after that. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. I have a reputation record. Uh, it's much easier to be the man in the high castle if you don't have anything. It's like shutting your mouth so that you don't prove that you're ignorant. Right. Yeah. That's basically what I do is I just don't do anything. <laughs> so people, and we had that conversation last night. Is like, and that's what I love about you guys is that you've only seen me do bad magic. You know, like I, <laughs> I'm very comfortable in front of you guys, and I work on stuff, and like you know, you guys knew me when I was young and into it and things like that. And so it's, it's interesting um, that. There's this this break in perception, which is I have. This is gross. I feel weird talking about this, but I do. I have a reputation. Really? Uh, I do. What's the reputation? Oh, now I want to know because I don't know what your reputation is. I just know you. Yeah. I. Okay. Here's here's an example. I was at an event. That was a Dan and Dave event, and we hired magicians to work the event. And a magician came up to me, and he's like, "You taught me the Erdnay's color change." Oh, that's crazy! Yeah, it was crazy because he's good, right? He was good. He was doing well, and he was like, "You taught me this thing," and I'm like, "That's very flattering." Is this real life? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's like somebody said to me recently, like. Rahul, do you have any notes I can buy? And I was like, why would you know? What the fuck do you want to learn from me? Like, shit. Exactly. And I feel that way all the time. And, and but I'm also aware of it. Yeah, and I think I am too because, like, like I have this reputation of being, like, in the, the, guy. In the local community. Who knows? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's not like... I'm definitely not the most technically apt of our friends. And I'm not the most performer ept of our friends, yeah. and I don't perform the most, and I don't make the most money from performing, but, yeah. like, I have some reputation. You know the guys who do, and you're good, and you have a bunch of knowledge and information and wisdom that's been imparted to you, and, you know, you're, you're yeah, undeniably valuable for reasons that aren't pecuniary. appreciate that. Yes. And... Do we just have a moment? Yeah. That's like the twelfth moment we had today. <laughs> Man, we gotta work on that. We gotta be at like double that rate. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, um, no, but like, I, I very genuinely like you know appreciate the compliments. But yeah, that feeling is real. Of like, I think it goes to like looking to your heroes. Yeah. And going, they were human too, and they might have felt this way about other people. <laughs> yeah. And it's it goes like, back to that email that I showed you. Yeah, and ego. And, and ego. But just like, you know, it, it is, I'm in a very fortunate position to know people, just like you are. Yeah. And you want to share that they're just people too. Yeah, so it's really, this is a great example, right? So like, yeah. y- you don't know someone and you want to know them, like, 
be prepared, show up, yeah. and do your homework and reach out, right? Yeah. Like, I think, don't just reach out to the person. So, for example, like, if you're going to Spain and you've decided that you're going to go see magic in Spain, reach out to me. I will try and put you in touch with people. And, like, it's hard to do blindly. Yeah. So don't reach out for someone with just that intention. Get to know someone and then ask, like, the favor, right? Yeah. So, like, seriously. If What's you, your email? Yeah, my email is R-A-A-H-U-L-S, as in Sam, at gmail.com. That's your name and the initial of your last name. That is correct. Or multiple of me, how you, depending how you look at it. <laughs> but if you drop me an email and you want to, like, Skype or Google Hangout and share some magic and talk... Add him on Facebook. He's very responsive. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's almost like it was my job. I know. <laughs> um, it's and- funny. When I got here yesterday... I know I'm derailing this, but when I got here yesterday and you gave me the tour of your house, we walked in, and you've got this beautiful setup on your desk... And your monitor was on Facebook. You had like all these tabs open, like your email, some work stuff, but like your your homepage was on Facebook, and I was like, that makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, please reach out and like you're reading something interesting. I'd love to learn about it too. Like yeah. you're you're doing some interesting research or whatever. Like yeah. the the cool conversations I find tend not to be about magic. It's about like. Other broadening your horizons. Yeah. You, oh, you always have to be a student. You have to constantly be learning about stuff that isn't. It, God damn it! I talk about this all the time. You have to live a life worth commenting on. Quote Juan, dude. What's so Juan's quote? Juan has like the seven veils of mystery. Yes. things he doesn't know. Yeah, and uh, it's it's in his new book that's out in Spanish, El Arcoiris, which is the magic rainbow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arcoiris means rainbow, and. Um, the seven veils of mystery are interesting, but one of them is the veil of interior richness. So mm-hmm. the more you know about the more, mm-hmm. the more people like your magic. Yes. That's his theory. The more people like you and whatever you're doing. It doesn't even have to be about magic. But it Correct. is. Co- yeah. Correct. And, yeah. and it's in this, in this, in this context, context, it's yeah. about uh, why people like magic more than other magic. And the things that you love, the things that you work hard at, and the things that you, you know, interior richness has nothing to do with the trick itself. Yes. But if you are a proficient classical guitarist, and you happen to do a trick, for whatever reason, people like it more than just the guy who can do the trick. Yeah. And there's something to be said about learning about everything you can. Yeah. Alex, again, this last weekend, or this, on Monday, Alex and I talked about... Uh, when you've put in your 10,000 hours with something, regardless of what it is, you don't have to be associated with that thing in the moment for people to understand that you are well-learned. Yes. And it's exactly what that is. It's exactly you that. you give off this presence, you have a presence, you have an air of sophistication that is inherent within having really studied and tried. Yeah, become an erudite scholar. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Um, and so I think there's a lot of value to learning as much as you can about everything. Yeah. Become Renaissance men and women. Yes. And I think it's important. Yes, I agree. Um, your life is so much more enriched by not being focused on magic all the time forever. You know, I was talking, Darren and I talked about this at lunch yesterday. 
I was talking about how my job is magic and I get burnt out about magic every day. Yeah. And he's like, you've got to find something that you can do that isn't that. Because yeah. that's where you're energized and rejuvenated. And he's right. And, you know, I have things that I do, but they're, you know... They, they tend to revolve around magic for you. They do. It's not necessarily that they... When I'm, when I'm trying to re-energize, it's not that it revolves around magic. It's that, like, some of the things that I do and am interested in are tough to do without actually doing them. For instance, fashion. Like, mm. it's hard for me to... I can, you can't I can, part-time fashion. Yeah. I, I, you know, I love dressing up and buying clothing, but buying clothing, you have to have the money to do that. I can watch a bunch of documentaries about it and become more well-informed, but I'm pretty well-informed in research and I understand. And I have the books. You know, I've got Dior's Dictionary of Fashion. I've got Hardy Amy's ABCs of Fashion. You know, I've got all these different books and Mr. Porter... Guide to a Stylish Life. You know, I've got all this stuff and these great things, and I've read them. I've really passionately pursued them. But if I'm not actively engaging with it, it's hard to then re-energize. And that's just one of my passions. Yeah. You know. Have you thought about sketching fashion, by the way? I have. I have some sketches. Do you know people who can make clothing? I'll connect you with Between people. six degrees, I do. Well, as a matter of... Yeah, I'll I connect do. you with I some do. people who I are do. really I good know. at it in LA. Well, I know someone that's a designer for Lucky Brand and J. Crew, and is very... Mm. You know, she's actually working on a thing for Dana Day right now. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You know, yeah. So, I, I, yeah. There are avenues that I could pursue, but I understand the time requisite necessary for Absolutely. that Absolutely, and that, that time I, that you want to dedicate it to do it well... Other things will suffer, and one right. of them is... My main passion and my job. Yeah, and I'm not comfortable doing that at this stage because it's too important. Yeah, and I think this goes back to something my dad said at lunch, which is like, you have to sometimes put in the time and suffer through something you don't like yeah. in order to reap higher rewards. Of course, yeah, right. And I think that's that's totally fair to know and be cognizant that you are doing that. For this reason, yeah, and I don't want—I don't want people to, listening to misconstrue that as I don't like what I'm doing right now, which is no, not art at of all. magic in the podcast, and you know all that kind of stuff. That's not at all what this is, but it is like there is something that I want to pursue outside of that, outside of that, and one day you will, hopefully, yeah. No hope, just do. All right, Yoda. Yeah. No, but seriously, I think yeah. like set the intention, of and, course, and take steps. Yes. And I'm in, and that's like I am very lucky, or fortunate, or gifted, or I did the right things to become this way. But I pursue it as I perceive it as luck because I don't have the explanation for it at this moment. But I do that naturally. Yeah, I do that naturally, I think- which is I set. I have like an idea in mind, and I put myself in situations where that happens naturally. Yeah, luck is when opportunity meets preparedness. Yes, and it's also, and that's, I want to underscore that. That's good. Luck is when opportunity meets preparedness. I agree. Um, And I have been fortunate to be open to the possibility of there being luck. Yeah. That's... 100%. That's so, like, really... that's exactly the thing we were talking about earlier about taking leaps of faith, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's when I, I could be prepared, mm-hmm. and I can sit at home, and opportunity is never going to come knock on my door. Yeah, right. So, like, yes, prepared, and part of prepared is 
putting yourself in a conditional probability of being able to get opportunities. Yes. Like, Juan's not going to invite me to his house if I don't fly to Spain first. Yeah. Right? Of course. I mean, not exactly true, but like... Yeah, like there's there's a you lot of You did the legwork. Yeah. Do the legwork, do the hard work to, to So the get thing to is is like head. you have to deserve something. Doesn't mean you're gonna get it. But if you deserve it and you ask for it, you're much more likely to get it. Absolutely. Yeah. And if, yeah. Conditional probability. Yeah, there you go. So it's just about cultivating the possibility. You have to invent the possibility and 100%. then you have to cultivate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you were talking about childhood dreams, and yeah. it's like, I think ties the whole thing neatly. For me, my childhood dreams, like, always have been, like, technology, building things, telling stories about the thing I built, and how it's going to be the best and the greatest, or whatever. Yeah. And the other thing is that I always valued friends above and beyond everything else. Yeah. Like, I didn't have any growing up. Mm. I was very, very bullied. I was very young, and, like, I don't think I had a real solid friend till probably high school. Okay. Right? So, like, you become very independent. You read in the library, you're very academic, whatever. Yeah. And so, today, to a fault, I will sacrifice and give to my friends to a thing where, like, now I've started to be like, okay, I can't give so much all the time. Yeah. And I started recognizing that only in the last two or three years. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I think it's totally, um, I am living my dream, right? Like, I yeah. have friends all over the world who are true, good, like, deep, connected friends. Yeah. And, you know, it's part of taking the steps, like, what do I need to do yeah. to be that friend yeah. to people well, I, and for myself? Yeah. And I can mirror that 100%. Because yeah. I was, you were bullied. Yeah. Uh, and so you were isolated. But I was an only child. So I had a similar experience where I was alone and I was spending a lot of time alone, right? And then whereas you in the last two or three years have stopped giving so much of yourself, I was put through that boot camp in a six-year relationship that was super codependent and really hard on me. And so I came to that realization maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, where... I can't give so much of myself if I'm going to live my life and be happy. Right? Yeah. So I, I can totally mirror you right now and feel what you're feeling. In yeah, it's totally funny. Like, also going back to age differences. Like, yeah. you're telling me this, right? And, like, yeah. there's a seven-year gap between us. Yeah. Like, I'm seven years older than you. Yeah. And I've never actually ever thought about your age. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew your age till yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, yeah, it's Elliot. Yeah. I know. I don't ever think about your... It's one of the things that's actually honestly very strange is that I don't have any friends that are my age that I didn't go to college with. Yeah. Outside of college, I don't have a single person that's my age. I have friends that are younger than I am, like Michael Stern, who's like several years younger yeah. than I am. And is people, he that young? Yeah. Should he, I hang out with he's like too? He's like 20, right? <laughs> 21. I think oh he might God. be like 21 or something. But oh. like, yeah. We have friends, and we don't think. Theron about and Michael age. are both two or three years older than me. And there we go. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's it's it's, it's uh, yeah. But we have these similar life experiences that embolden ourselves to be friends with people. Yeah, and I think everybody like of humanity. We have these similar feelings, They're universal truths, and this is one of those things that people don't verbalize. Yeah, their internal feelings. Yeah, and I think it's. 
for fear, for shame, for pride. I don't know what it is, but it's really genuine. Like maybe it's art in general, but for me, magic is about expressing some truth to yourself. Yes. That is universal to others. So this universal truth idea you had about the voodoo card really speaks to me where I'm saying like, how can I tell my story? Yeah. In a way that affects everybody the same. Like Derek, for Derek's show was is, it's a fucking masterpiece. If you didn't see it in LA, go see it in New York when it happens because like I went and saw the show four times. Yeah. Not only did I see it four times, I took somewhere between ten and twenty people to see the show. Yeah. Over the times that I went and I changed I changed my parents' flights. So that on graduation day, we went to the show. Yeah. Like, not obsessed, but it really affected me. Yeah. And I've talked to Derek about this, and, you know, he really struck a raw chord with me because of this, like, mutually shared experience that had he not done the show, I would have never talked to him about. Yeah. And I started asking myself, like, why don't I talk to people about this thing, this feeling that I have? And generally, it's because of fear or because of rejection, fear of rejection or or some pride of like, oh, I don't want to be seen a certain way. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, if you don't realize that people feel the same way or have had the same experience in a different dimension, you can't deepen your connection with the person. Yeah. And then deepening the connection with the person is like the goal of magic for me when I perform. Yeah. So if I'm not willing to do it in conversation, how can I do it in magic? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And... I my life was changed by a podcast, which I've talked about on the podcast before. Pete Holmes, you made it weird, and I I was yearning for the kind of thing he was doing. Is that a mini ghost deck over there? All right, sorry. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, my life was changed by that, and I wanted, and that was during my codependent relationship. That was something that I wanted. I was yearning for it, and I kind of woke up to the realization, which is if that's what I want. I can just do that. I'm a yeah. grown person. I don't have to be in this relationship I don't want to be in. I can be honest and vulnerable with people. And then I took it to the logical extreme, which is have my own podcast and do my own stupid shit. But the thing is, is like, because I've set the intention for this podcast, which is I want to be open and honest and vulnerable. In this episode alone, I've said a bunch of stuff that makes me very uncomfortable. But in this moment right now, I'm glad I said them. I'm not uncomfortable at all. I'm just being honest and true and open. Yeah, and hopefully my experience speaking to these universal truths will help someone who listens. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, I think there's there's a lot to be said for those things. And like, you know, in magic, we talk a lot about finding mentors. Yeah. And I think... It's really important in life to find mentors. And, like, it's not about age. It's about, hey, I want to find someone who's dealt with this similar experience. Reach out. And, like, this goes back to that taking leaps of faith and conditional probability. Like, if you reach out to 100 people you admire for their business sense, one of them's going to reach back out to you. Yeah. If you reach out to 100 people who are also, like, you know, successful engineers and you want to be an engineer at Apple and you reach out to a hundred of them, one of them's going to reach out and talk to you. 
Yeah. And like put in that legwork and be ready to have that real conversation with them. But then set yourself up for success. Yeah. And I think the same is true for like opening yourself up, right? Like, yeah, it's going to suck maybe like 85, 90% of the time, but then like 10% of the time maybe gives you so much reward that it's worth it. Yeah. I agree. Totally. I just know that I'm living a much more fulfilled life by being true to myself. What changed when you you started doing that? Everything. So my self-confidence boosted, which you would think it would be the other way around. Like, I'm being vulnerable. People are going to judge me and so on and so forth. But it's actually the opposite effect is true, which is I'm open and vulnerable. And one of two things happen. One of three things happen. The third one is not very often. The first one is people recognize it and they appreciate it. Yep. The second one is people recognize it and they appreciate it and they reciprocate it. And the third one is... They don't appreciate it. They don't appreciate it and they do the judgment and the thing. But that third one happens so infrequently that it's basically irrelevant. The other two, it has drastically changed my life. Yeah. What being open and honest and vulnerable and and willing to learn and set aside ego can do. So when you talk to John Bodhi, I want you to ask him a few questions because I think this conversation segues really naturally. This this conversation we're having now is what the two hours of John Bodhi's podcast will be, probably. (laughs) Yeah. But ask him about radical honesty. Yeah. Ask him about... His cull work. Yeah. (laughs) The real spread call is something to be seen. I don't think the podcast enjoyers will uh, truly I, appreciate it. I just wanted it to throw in that little nature. Easter egg for the people that know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, go ahead. Easter Radical eggs. Honesty. Easter eggs. Easter eggs. Um, and the bunny to prove. Here we go. Truth. Um, yeah, so radical honesty. Mm-hmm. Perception. I'm actually going to share a story from John Bodine with myself. Uh, Please. So. Who's John Bodine? John. You can't, you can't characterize Yeah, I know. John Bodine... He's a wizard of a man. John Bodine is a man who lives in Mountain View, California, and is a... He's a shaman. He's a modern-day shaman. shaman living in the modern day. Yeah. Who um, is kind and caring. I mentioned him before. He was there at the first night in the garage with Theron. Yes. He is the guy who at MagicCon 1 thinks it's a really funny idea to walk up to Paul Wilson and uh, I will say now that Elliot please censor this moment for the podcast because I don't want them to get it ruined and I want you to ask John for the story I just did that so you could find it okay alright (laughs) <laughs> I was going to pause it so you could tell me, but, yeah, but just, this, just this is so you yeah. can find it and cut it. Yeah, yeah. Um, John Bodine's the guy who thinks it's funny to walk up to our Paul Wilson at MagicCon 1 and pull out of his satchel handbag thing. Okay, like, hey, hey our, our Paul, check this out. And our Paul goes, oh, this is really cool. This is like a first edition. Erdnays, I've never seen one in person. And John goes, yeah, that one's okay, but I think this one's better quality. Pulls out a second first edition Erdnays. And our Paul's just like, fuck is going on like this is like 
this is amazing. Yeah. And, and John goes, well, that's, I mean, I think this one's the best, though. And pulls out this, like, pristine first edition. And our Paul's sitting here holding three first edition Erdnazes going, like, the fuck is happening to me? I'm not me? cutting this out. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine to cut it. I, I would just insert a censorship so that people know if they haven't listened to the John Bodine podcast. Because yeah. I think him telling the story is a little bit... Well, John's will come out before yours. Oh, perfect. Okay. Right. Sorry for clapping loudly then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> There's that Indian coming out. <laughs> um, feather or not? The laugh. Go yeah. ahead. So, um, you know, John's this like wonderful man. He's He owns more er- first edition Erdnazes than anybody I know. He has like a full collection. He's a collector. He spent a sabbatical going to Peru and smoking ayahuasca in the jungle with shamans. Like, the guy's amazingly uh, dedicated to a full consciousness. To consciousness. Okay. To, like, conscious presence with people and being connected and connection and human connection and life and all that that encompasses. Presence. Yeah. And... So, we talked once about the idea of perception, and, you know, we had a long conversation, and I had started looking into and figuring out this part of myself, uh, this connects with, I had, I'm going to tie several stories together really quickly. Dan Fishman, the guy I mentioned before from Michigan, who now, who introduced me to Ron Bauer and lives in Florida now, was performing at the castle, and I went and visited him, and that night we had a long conversation about what is the best opener you can do in your show? Yeah. And he said, when I walk out on stage, I'm going to tell people what my self-perceived weakness is. And I'm going to tell them everything they are judging me for right now. So they know, I know I'm going to address that fact. That's the most important thing you can do in a fourth wall breaking performance. Totally. Yeah. Second story is, uh, a magician, I can't remember the name, and I, I'm really sorry that I don't know this. The the best opening line I have ever heard in my life. So this guy walks out on stage, he's about 350, 400 pounds, and his opening line is, Ladies and gentlemen, I have defeated anorexia. <laughs> and it's like, holy shit, you are so self-aware that you know everybody the in the audience is thinking, holy shit, that's one big dude. Yeah. Right? And so, and the third piece is John Boudin. We had a long conversation about, what was your first perception of me? And I think that's a a really, really important question to ask. And John Boudin suggested this exercise to me. He says, I want you to take a 3 by 5 note card and write down on the note card what you think somebody else's perception of you is. And then give them a 3 by 5 note card and say, I don't want you to tell me. But I'm doing this thing. I want to understand what do you perceive me as. Yeah. And I want you to write down whatever comes to mind. Yeah. And now you read the two side by side and you say, this is how I think I'm being perceived. This is how people are perceiving me. And then change either yourself to display the qualities you want that you think other people are are perceiving you as. Or, oh, these are the behaviors people are perceiving. I need to change those. Or those are what I want to know. This is the solution to my closer. Very, very possibly. Yeah. Um, Not that there ought to be one, but I'm just saying. Yeah, so the idea is, like, either you become more self-aware that Mm -hmm. this is how people are perceiving you, or you become more aware 
of yes. how per- people are perceiving you. Yeah. And so, like, this idea of perception is, is one that's super important. Yeah. And I think it's uh, very, very, very valuable as yeah. an exercise to do in your day-to-day life to, like, as you get to know people, hey, what did you think? Like, what did you think of me when you first met me? Like, yeah. what, what was your... What did you hate about me for the first six months you knew me? What did you... What do you love about me for the first three months and what do you hate about me now? Yeah. Right? And like, yeah, you know what? This is all stuff we've talked about between the two of us during the course of this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's good because we understand each other better and you understand your perception. I understand my perception of you. And I understand myself in general, better. Exactly, yeah. And like, for me, like a couple years ago, I asked a lot of my friends, like, hey, what, what really bothers you about me? And, like, the number one thing was that I was always late to stuff. Oh, yeah? And in the last two years, I have made an effort to show up 15 minutes early. Nice. Or even, like, you know, you know, I... four hours early to your house, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm sorry I was asleep, okay? Oh, God. Yeah, I'm going to make you relive this story in shame for shame. Who shows up for Dana Dave's birthday... And I told him I was going to leave a key outside, and I didn't, and I'm asleep, and I don't hear him pounding on the door for an hour, and he goes to a Denny's, and I wake up, and I check my phone at, like, four in the morning, and he's like, I'm here. No, I'm here. Answer the fucking door. Oh my fucking god, I can't believe you're not answering the door. I can't fucking believe this. I'm at the fucking Denny's. And that's like... Six different text messages <laughs> over the course of an and, hour and, and like a hundred phone calls, literally like literally a hundred phone calls. You called my girlfriend, like every all of it. It was amazing, <laughs> and I felt so bad. I felt so bad. It's, I went and picked him up at. We Denny's did say we would laugh morning. about this later. You 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 picked me up at Denny's and you said we'll laugh about this later, and I said maybe when I've slept. <laughs> <laughs> And now here it is, listeners. You guys are here for it. Uh, yeah. So, anyway. I don't know how that relates to perception. I, I, for, I forgot the train of thought. But anyway. <laughs> it, was, it was perception asking my friends. and they were Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so my band director. So I, I was instilled in this. So I was in Boy Scouts, and I'm an Eagle Scout, and whatever. I learned a lot of things from that. But in high school, I was a marching band. Which you know, because of last night. <laughs> I knew that from before last night. I know, because yeah. Leah... Uh, yeah. yeah. So, anyway. Um, yes. I was in marching band, and my band director, we had a roll call at, at like, 6 o'clock, uh, 6 o'clock, 5.30, 6 o'clock on Friday nights for the football games. And his... My band director is one of my heroes. I disagree with him on most everything politically and socially, but he's one of my heroes. Because if there's ever a man who understood performance art, it's him. This is a point I want to take later of, of finding good in people or finding the things to learn from people. Yes. And your dad and I talked about that almost today. But anyway, um, his mantra for us was to be early is to be on time. To be 15 minutes early. To be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late. And to be late is unacceptable. Oof. I heard similar from my theater teacher in high school, which was 15 minutes early is on time. (laughs) On time is late. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same kind of... But he he phrased it, and this, I am indebted to him for this, because he was an eloquent man. He was eloquent. He was passionate. 
He was fun. He's incredible. And I learned more. I, I would honestly say I've learned more about magic from him than I have from any book I've read. Eloquence is underrated. Because he was able to frame things in such a way that they internalize. And he lived his life in such a way that he was the perfect bastion of what was good and what was correct. You're reminding me of, of three or four quotes about language. One of which is, my dad growing up, four-letter words are for men with poor vocabulary. Yeah. Which is, I think, funny. It is the, funny. The other one is the one from um, Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society. Men, we do not use very blank. Yeah. We, very is a, is, is a simplification of language and reduces it. Language was meant to, like, woo women. Woo women. Yeah. And that is, a, is an art to which we should aspire or something yeah. along those yeah, yeah, lines. Yeah. And it's just so true. I think um, eloquence is underrated. I think speaking cogently and precisely really elevates your ability to communicate. It does. And understanding semantics and calling out the cognitive dissonance within a conversation is paramount. Yeah. And it helps with everything in life being sales. There's a sales meeting I was in the other day and somebody said, oh, so we're going to, you know, we're going to sacrifice X. And the woman was fighting him and fighting him and fighting him and saying, oh, we're not sacrificing it. We're just choosing to do it. And he's like, you're right. Sacrifice implies judgment. Mm-hmm. We're going to go without. Yeah. And I was like, man, on the fly, I would have never thought of those words. But that was so, like, precisely said. I don't yeah. want to remove... I want to remove the judgment from the word. Yes. And still describe the same situation. Yeah. And it's important because you have to set um, a, a quantitative, qualitative definition for something when you begin a discussion or an yeah. argument. Absolutely. You know. Um, so, so that's... Yeah, that's incredibly important. And that's what that guy did on the fly. Yeah. And I I feel like I'm okay at that. You're very good at it, actually, I believe. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I want to be. I'm very interested in the most effective communication. Because it goes back to everything we've been talking about, which is vulnerability and, and empathy, you know? It's like you have to be on the same page if you're going to be on the same page. Yeah, so this is another thing to ask, like, John Boudin. Yeah. When he first meets people. Yes. Does not ask them, hey, what's your name? Like, yeah, you know, hey, nice to meet you, my name is. But he's never going to ask you, what what do you do for a living? Yeah. He doesn't ask, like, where do you work? He doesn't ask, where do you live? Yeah. He asks, what are you passionate about? Yeah. And that is the first question I've started asking people, and it takes people aback. And people go, wait, oh, that's a, you actually care. I don't know. <laughs> you you know, actually care. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think uh, you, ca- you can't ask that question as a cheat. Of course not. You have to be you genuine. You genuinely have to care. But if you genuinely care and you want to get to know the person, the answers lead you to a far deeper, richer, fulfilling conversation. If you want to be a better person, genuinely care. If, if you want to be a better really social, if, socially, yes. if you want to be a more connected person, genuinely care. Yeah, and, but, and, but I mean, just uh, just better. You want to have a more fulfilling experience. Yeah, you absolutely. Have a better life, and objectively more. And and what's really funny about this is, 
we can tell you to care. Yeah. But, but you, you can't. You can't. Like, you just genuinely you, have to You care. have to choose. So, and like, maybe find a thing that you care about. Yeah. And then find those people, and it'll be easier, and you'll grow that over time. Mm-hmm. And, like... And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which I talked about with Alex, is once you have studied, once you have really cared about something, it is obvious. And it is go- it goes back to being Renaissance women and men, right? Like, yeah. find one thing that you deeply care about, and then figure out how it's connected to something else, and something else, and something else. And it goes back to schooling being and those tied things, to magic. And, and those things become obvious, and, and yeah. you can't stop them from happening you you can't stop yourself from making those connections it reminds me of, so like i have a very close friend mm-hmm. who's who's not in the magic community his name is omar he's a he's a martial artist and a personal trainer mm-hmm. and he says this thing and i think it's so true beyond what he means it as he says yeah karate judo aikido kung fu they're all the same the human body only moves so many ways and it's not just about the physicality of the movement. Mm-hmm. Like, if you learn enough about anything, it is related to everything else. Yes. It's the universal truth. Yeah. yeah. That's what all the different passions are. They're just different flavors of the same thing. We are all expressions of energy through a human body. Yeah. We're all energy. Right? And like... Energy, and that leads to energy is all matter. Nothing. No, but energy is no, matter. No, no, no. Yeah, physics, yeah, of course. Right? Energy sure, sure, is sure, matter, sure. and yeah. everything is sure. the same. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. And to that end, everything is nothing. Everything's meaningless. Correct. Right? And you assign meaning to whatever you want to be. So when you have the epiphany on your own, we can say this all day, but it, it you have to have some sort of realization in and of yeah. yourself. This got super deep, by the way. Like. That's what it's supposed to be. No, philosophically deep. Like, I don't... That's what I want it to be. That's totally fine. Is, Uh, yeah, is at the moment when you realize we're all just specks of dust, you have infinite possibility in front of you because you assign meaning to what you want. Right. And this, in a very tangible way, for those who don't want to ascribe to any of the meta-philosophical, which I don't blame you for. Yeah. uh, And I don't judge you for. Yeah. But set an intention and pursue it. Yeah. And be open to whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's easy. That's easy. It's easy. It's hard. It's It's the hardest thing to do, but once you do it, it's easy. It's, yeah, once you have that epiphany, that's the thing is you have to throw your head over the wall. You have to take the leap. But then you realize, oh, yeah, I can just do this thing. It's like Indiana Jones and the Invisible Bridge, man. You just got to take that first leap of state, and then you're like, oh, I can see the bridge now. But, like, yeah. at that moment, you can't. Yeah. 100%. Last Crusade saves us all. Man, that fourth one was shit. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to make a fifth one, aren't they? It's going to be unrelated to the fourth one. I think the fourth one is going to be, like, officially non canon. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking UFOs. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just, you really just have to go out and do. And some things, like for me, I was listening to a podcast and it made me, like, over the course of literally hundreds of hours of hearing people say kind of the same thing, but with different language about different subjects, I was able to realize, oh yeah, we're all just doing the same thing. And it all really doesn't matter, therefore everything matters. Because I assign meaning to it, right? Yeah. So, 
It and if you want, if you want a, the perfect flavor of exactly what I'm talking about, listen to the Mike Kaplan episode of uh, Pete Holmes's "You Made It Weird." Mike is spelled M Y Q. You yeah. made it weird. Mike's mom made it weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mike is Ben Seidman's best friend. Or one no of his best way. friends. Yeah, we can ask him about it on Thursday. We will. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, wait, yeah. okay. To wrap this should, up. Yeah, wait, wrap to wrap up. this up. Yeah. Uh, in, in the vein of the thing you just said of sort of like inspiring possibility by hearing some story. I'm going to leave you with a story of a trick, a miracle, an impossibility that I witnessed. Yeah. And in the vein of you sharing the closer of your show... This is the closer of my show, and I don't know how to do it yet. All right. So I walk out on stage. You're already on stage. This yeah, is the closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I've walked off. So I walk back out. Oh, okay. And I say, look. Uh, and earlier in the show, the one phrase that I've used before is uh, right before a revelation of a prediction trick, which is, <clears throat> this is my favorite part in magic. Because you know exactly what's about to happen. Yeah. And you also know that it is impossible. Mm-hmm. It can't fucking happen, but it's gonna fucking happen. Yeah. And then you open the prediction, whatever, okay? So yeah. that's one important thing to know. Yeah. So now you cut to the end of the show and you say, look, um, uh, would you, somebody name out a card, yell out any card. Oh, uh, right now? Yeah. Jack of Diamonds. So, so they yell out and you say, ah, you know, I've shared a lot of magic with you tonight. And I'd really like to share with you one last story instead of a trick, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. I want to share with you the moment of the absolute impossible that I witnessed that made me want to do a show. I was in the lobby of a hotel in Florida yeah, at a magic convention. Yes, magic conventions exist. There are a bunch of dudes who get together. We sit around, we drink, we share stories, friendships, and card tricks till not normal hours. And in this particular instance, I was sitting at a table at 5 a.m. There were three people at the table. It was me, Eric Mead, and Juan Tamariz. Juan is a Spanish magician. You guys all know on the podcast, so I'll just cut this part out. Yeah. And we're sitting there, and Juan goes to the bathroom and comes back and if you ever have the fortune of watching Juan in person, he may leave his cards on the table. Don't move them. Because if they're moved and he comes back, he will not perform. He, you know, it's one of those things like, it's like this subtle check of like, oh, did, did, did people mess with my shit? Yeah. It's like one of those things. So if you can get away with it, that's like a great way to see him perform. Yeah. So he says, uh, oh, okay, we'll do a trick, and he cuts the deck into three piles, and then Brad Henderson walks up and joins us. And Juan looks at Brad and says, name any card, and Brad said three of clubs. I remember to this day, three of clubs. And I'm sitting there, and and Juan says, is there any way I could know where the three of clubs in the deck is? And like, reflex my brain was not in the way i was like yeah you fucking created mnemonic like literally what i said right i'm like yes and he's like rahul i thought we were friends i'm like shit what did i do (laughs) (laughs) and this is before i like gone to spain and met juan or whatever and so 
Um, he goes, okay, yes, yes, I could know. And he turns his hand and he goes, he backs up like about 10 feet and says, if I don't come between the plant and the deck, could I know? And, and I said, yeah, you could still know Juan. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine, okay. Yeah. I'll turn around, you shuffle. Yeah. You make three new piles, then could I know? Yeah. And I'm like, no, there's no way. Yeah. He says, okay, and he turns around. And he turns, you know, we shuffle, we come. That slimy old bastard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love him to death. Don't take yeah, that as great course, But I course. know where this is going, and so he turns, I'm fooled. <laughs> so he turns back around, right? Yeah. And, and we're like, okay? And yeah. he goes, okay. Each of you take a packet and hold it in your hand, sort of sandwiched in your hand. So we're all there. And he goes, is there any way I can know which packet it's in? And we're like, no. He's like, yes, I know, I know, I know. No! And he points at Brad, and he says, not in your hand. Yeah. And we're all like, what the fuck? Yeah. And, he, and Brad turns over his packet and spreads it. No fucking three of clubs. And we're like, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking fooled right at this point. I'm just like, all right, like, 60% chance! This is a named, a randomly named car. Yeah, and I know that Brad's shuffled. not arranged on this, because he of just course. came back from dinner, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just a breakfast or whatever. Yeah. And so, Juan looks at me and goes, no! No! <laughs> oh, shit! Right? Like, literally, like, Juan does. Yeah. And, oh, oh. and he's like, not in your hand? Yes, in your hand. You hold tight to Eric. And then yeah. I turn over my cards, and it's not there. Yeah. And he goes, in Eric's hand. And he just, like, sort of doesn't let me look through my cards. Closes yeah. them really fast. And I'm just like, oh, okay. I mean, note over there, right? Yeah. And he goes to Eric's hand. I know, I know. It's between the 10th and the 17th card. And I'm just like, no fucking way. Yeah. And he's like, or I make, like, chas, and your card comes to the top. Yeah. In your hands. And I'm just like, even more. No fucking way, right? Yeah. And he's like, or I make like chess and your card jumps out in midair and does six somersaults and I catch it. And I'm like, all right, I want to see that shit. Right? Like, and yeah. I, I literally made the joke. I'm like, I want to see that. And he goes, Rahul, I thought we were friends. Like, shit! <laughs> Damn it! Again! My mouth! <laughs> and so, so he goes, okay, for you. Chess. Plaf. <whistles> And he makes, like, sort of somersaults in the air with his finger and his hand hits his, like, breast pocket. Yeah. And he goes... And he shows his hands empty. Yeah. And he goes into his sweater, sort of from the top. Yeah. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he rolls up his sweater and taps the breast pocket and there's one card in his breast pocket and he pulls it out and it's the fucking three of clubs. Wow. And then he has Eric spread his cards, and there's no fucking three of clubs, and he leaves us the deck. It's like a full deck. There's no three of clubs in any of the other piles. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the the ending for magicians. For lay people, like, holy shit, there's a three of clubs in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and as he does this, right, he, like, walks away, and I would love to do this trick for you as an audience tonight, but I can't. Yeah. Because, one, I'm not old enough to wear a sweater vest, and, two, <laughs> I don't even have a pocket. But I turn around and I said, a moment ago, I turned around when I was telling the story. And they say, yes. And I say, but now there's something different. And I turn around and there's a envelope pinned to my back. Uh-huh. I say, yeah, you know, this is my favorite moment in magic because you know exactly what's about to happen. There's no fucking way, but it's going to happen. Yeah. And I call someone up, the guy who named the Jack of Diamonds. Yeah. They pull the pin off my back. They put the envelope on the table and I say, look, my life has been about making choices. 
I've made the choices to travel the world, to meet magicians, to sacrifice everything else for seeing what I thought was the best magic in the world. And I wanted to share some of that with you today. And tonight, if you want, maybe that story is the greatest thing you've ever seen. Or you can open that envelope. It's up to you. And I walk off stage and I walk out of the theater. And like for me, that's a very interesting ending because people don't know whether to applaud or not. Yeah. And they don't know whether to open or not. And I have no idea what will happen because I've never done it. Yeah. But that story is 100% true. It was a three of clubs. It was Gary Plant's. It was Eric Mead, it was myself, and Brad Henderson. And it, I, to this day, like, I can make now further educated guesses, but I don't fucking know, and it was a miracle, and I didn't sleep for six days. I would wake up every three hours thinking about, like, what the fuck? That's impossible. And for, for Juan, like, I can't thank him enough for reminding me of what it feels like to experience true magic. Yeah, the last question I ask is, when were you fooled the hardest? And you just answered it. I've seen the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. I can't thank you enough. This is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it was my pleasure. I'm really excited to hear the next few conversations you have, too, with all the close friends. I've heard so many from around the, like, sort of the magic world. Yeah. But in my day-to-day world, I haven't heard one of those yet. And so that'll be really... I hope you're able to learn things that you didn't know. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye! (laughs) Alright, well, the aftermath. Yeah. It's been uh, a week. Yeah. Did you have a good time here? I did have a good time. Awesome. So, I guess I get to sort of turn the tables on you and, and ask you about, like, what was last night like, and and what did you learn, and you know what did you what did we do, and all the fun stuff. Uh, well, so last night was Friday night. We went and got a bunch of sushi, which was delicious, and we had some drinks, and we went to the Magic Garage, and I met the guys hanging out there, and it was a lot of fun, and. Kind of early in the evening when we got there, I Rahul took me out into the garage and we got up on stage and Rahul stood out in the, the audience area and I ran through the, the trick and, you know, learned about, you know, what got a better idea of what the script could be and you made some good points about, you know, some different aspects of the script and things that I could do that way that would make the person on stage feel more comfortable and we got an idea for the visuals and and how the whole thing would play and it was uh, it was cool and unfortunately I didn't get to do it for a big group of people because I got really really sick (laughs) food poisoning uh, unfortunately I guess is a real thing yeah uh, everything yeah it was a combination of a bunch of different things and got super sick uh, so we left kind of early in the evening, but I still I still did it, and I got a better idea of what it is that it is and, and how to do it. And Yeah. So um, 
I know I've been there. So when you suddenly got sick, though, I think one of the things that stood out to me was sort of the community at the Magic Garage. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was a great environment in which to be sick because <laughs> I threw up all over uh, <laughs> Will Chandler's patio, basically, and uh, everybody was super cool. And, you know, it wasn't, it was obviously very embarrassing, but it was cool. Will was on top of it, made sure I was okay. You know, he was, it was good. It was yeah, cool. I still don't know where he pulled those towels out from. Yeah, he's like a, he was, it was like he was prepared for any, oppor- not any opportunity, any uh, situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm glad you did it because I got to experience it and I know what it will be like when it gets good. Yeah. Um, are you glad the vomiting you did part? It? He's talking yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going back to the trick, but are you glad you did it? And did you learn things that you like wouldn't have learned otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, blocking and all of all the performing I've ever done has been. Um, less formal even when i've done stand-up shows for a big group of people it's been very informal and i can move around the space and like being up on that stage with the lights and kind of pretending that i'm doing this thing for real i realize that like my whole i'm it's totally a different animal than what i'm used to and so like totally i like to move around and like shift my weight and you know it's super informal and conversational but you can't yeah, that that's all just distraction. Yeah, when you're on a stage like that, so that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming up, man. This week has been great. Lots of good conversations, and I kind of like. I personally want to revisit something that we touched on. Yeah. Because I think we talked about women and magic a lot. Uh huh. And I didn't get the opportunity to sort of say like there are some amazing women magicians out there that you should absolutely go check out. Yeah. Right, like Sarah from Spain. Um, Giselle is also another Spanish magician who's in Barcelona. Really great manipulation act. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Bay Area, uh, Miriam, she's like got chops. She's got mad chops. She mad fooled chop. me at GGG. Right? Her. She's like amazing. Yeah. Um, of course, can't go without mentioning our good friends Lauren Cohen and Cat, who are like Cat Bolt. Yeah. Yeah, they're they are magicians in their own right. So, uh, and so I think that's really important to call out of like there are people who are doing it and yeah. who are seeking feedback and that's great. Yeah. And we just have to be you know open to Welcoming. providing a healthy positive learning experience to all people that come into magic but Absolutely. especially it's more difficult because there are so few women that we kind of have to figure out how to navigate it totally well. So, yeah. You were the first person I talked to, and now you're the last person, so... Yeah. Thanks uh, for letting me stay and crash on your couch. And... You're welcome anytime. And Amanda, Elliot's definitely right about the desserts. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thanks, buddy. Alright, take it easy. Thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so shoot me an email at podcast at artofmagic.com or send me a message on the Magical Thinking Podcast Facebook page. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by sharing it on social media and letting others know why you loved it. I'll see you next Thursday. Cheers.